Welcome to Drink Full and Descend. This is Mike. I'm here with Cameron. Hey, uh, how are you doing today, Mike? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Today's January 1st, 2018. It, what year is this? What year is this? <laughs> uh, somebody should scream right now. Well, and happy birthday to uh, James Hurley. Oh, cool. Yeah, right. <laughs> happy birthday, New Year's Day, New Year's baby. Right. Yeah. Um, so we are gathered here after finally receiving the uh, Blu-ray set and watching all the extra features of Twin Peaks The Return. Yeah, and I think we, we kind of intended to do this a little bit uh, sooner, but life got in the way, as it does. First of all, uh, Amazon didn't send us our Blu-rays on time. Yeah, there was a little bit of, um, I don't know if it was an underestimate of how many fans that wanted it or something, but Amazon mm-hmm. dropped the ball a little bit, I think I can safely say. Well, yeah, cause it seems like a lot of people had this experience. Yeah, um, a lot of people signed up for it to pre-order like it on that. Amazon and yeah. uh, ended up having to wait a couple weeks. I got lucky because my roommate found like the last copy available at a retail store in managed to pry it out of somebody else's hands (laughs) in a battle. Yeah, Yeah, I stopped in at this little video store down the street here and asked them, and the guy didn't know what I was talking about. Yeah, I think (laughs) there'd be a lot of that. Madrid video or whatever. That was kind of the story my roommate explained to me that somebody was like, what is this exactly? Because everybody's (laughs) asking about it. It must be great. Yeah, that was funny. But I finally got it from Amazon, and, uh, you know, we watched it, and, uh, you know, then we had Christmas in there, and... Yeah, so here right. It is. And today it's New Year's Day. I think it's only been a couple of weeks since a lot of people have had their hands on this. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that didn't have Showtime, and a lot of fans that actually wanted to wait and binge it all. Right? That weren't like us watching it um, mm-hmm. by appointment. Well, or people who maybe got it for Christmas, I mm-hmm. guess. Right. And a lot of people rewatching it now, as we are. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of people just now getting the extra features that are on the disc set. So we figured we'd get together and talk about all that new stuff that uh, has happened since the release of it. Yeah, so we're going to focus on running through the special features. Um, I guess start with the Comic-Con panel. Um, I feel like I kind of knew most everything that was said here one way or another. This mm-hmm. was, you know, from a while ago. It was, what, right around part 12 when that aired, I think. Yeah. Um, and so most of the information I felt like I knew. I don't know if I saw clips of this or read about it or what. Well, um, I saw some clips of it on YouTube and such, and I think like it was the easiest, I wouldn't say leaked, but it was the mm-hmm. most available thing before the release of the Blu-ray that was actually out that you could find online, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, you could, yeah, you could find some stuff. Um, maybe the whole thing even, maybe, I, I don't know. And I'm not even uh, sure if that's the same footage <laughs> I saw. It could have been just somebody else at that Comic-Con panel. Yeah, you know? right. So you've like David Lynch's intro video, which was very entertaining. With uh, You've got like the guy falling and then the, you know, like O.J. Simpson's golf ball. Mm-hmm. And the horse, your horse stepped on my cat. Yeah. Or yeah like I'd seen all that before. Yeah. Um, there, there were a couple of those I had not seen, but that stuff is really hilarious to me. The kind of picture <laughs> that he paints. Uh-huh. Where he, obviously, the camera's on him, but he's making you picture a guy fall out of a building. Hey, what are you doing? We're on the fourth floor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he warned that guy, <laughs> yeah. to be fair. Yeah. That guy should have listened. Well, no, anyway. <laughs> Um, so really just a couple of things that I guess I wanted to talk about uh, about this. I mean, it's worth watching the whole thing. Um, I thought that um, Damon Lindelof's um, introduction to the panel was um, kind of emotional, you know, kind yeah. of like tearing up a little bit, yeah, uh, almost with him talking about his experience of discovering Twin Peaks as kind of like a weird kid, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever. And so I thought that was cool. Um, I think a lot of us maybe had similar type experiences. Yeah, there wasn't, as we've talked about before on the podcast, there wasn't a lot back then that was similar. Yeah, And it was kind of the, uh, almost a subculture thing from the beginning where a lot of people you'd show it to was like, oh, it doesn't have the same pop formula of mainstream stuff, so it's garbage, you know? 
Yeah. When in fact, that's kind of why we all love yeah, the, the, the fans that are here, there today. You know? Yeah, and about just the creation of this community, right? And how it has kept going for 25 years, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it didn't go away. You know, the show went away, but the fanship, if anything, I feel like just continues to build. Yeah. And did even over that period. Like, oh, now someone else discovers it. Now they're kind of getting into the, the, the fan community, so... Yeah, and the oh, extras cool. of the Blu-ray set do go into this, and they kind of show the appearances of the actors at different events and mm-hmm. how many young people that weren't even actually alive when the first series came around. Oh, yeah. If you watch the Comic-Con panel, the like, kids who get up to ask questions. Yeah, that's pretty uh, cool. They've really, from our perspective, it's like, are you 12? Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's pretty um, cool to see that. But that, it is cool. Yeah. Or just having them at Comic-Con in general. It's not like it was a comic, and it's not like it's it was a huge budget like Marvel mm-hmm. film or something. Yeah. Um, I know there's the like the trader card sets that were made. Mm-hmm. Um, and all kinds of other ephemera that goes along, of course, with Twin Peaks. But just to see all of it, all of them up on a Comic Con panel, that it is justifiably one of those things that you gotta pay tribute to at a Comic Con because it's yeah. such uh, iconographic stuff. It's really great. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, in terms of the, the the answers they gave to the questions asked and such, they're still in the space of like, well, I can't really say much, you know. And yeah. So you get Kyle telling the story about James Belushi trying to ad lib and Lynch saying like. Do you need to go to the principal's office? Or yeah, whatever? his friendly way of shutting him down. Like, that's not allowed. Yeah. I know you get a lot of clout, um, Belushi, but... <laughs> yeah. The one thing I, I did want to talk about here, though, was the uh, Everett McGill thing. Yeah. Which, um, you know, I feel like I knew about, um, people might know about, but um, I remember even this uh, several years ago when David Lynch took to um, the Twitter, basically. Yeah. Uh, just saying to his followers, like, hey, anyone know how to get in touch with Everett McGill? I want to talk to him because he didn't know how to get in touch with him. And he, he wasn't really acting anymore. Um, and uh, so apparently uh, Lynch didn't know how to get in touch with him. And then th- by taking to the Internet, he finally ended up with a phone number. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, Everett tells the story on the on the Comic-Con panel, which I also feel like I already knew. But anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, about how this number was to this phone in this house that he's very rarely at. Like he, it's a storage place or whatever, and um, there's just a phone on the wall, you know, an old landline. I was imagining it might even be like a rotary phone. Yeah. You know, like, and it's just still, it's there. And um, he says that this phone probably hadn't rung in 10 years. And uh, he was just over there one day, happened to be over there, and then here the phone rang, and he picked it up, and it was David Lynch. Hmm. And um, he says, well, you know, they didn't really talk about Twin Peaks. They just chat a little bit. Um, David asked him if this was a good number to reach him. He's like, no. <laughs> and he gives him a better number, and yeah. and it kind of went from there. But I thought, you know, this is really um, this is serendipitous, or right? I got thinking about this um this Greek notion of kairos in terms of time here mm-hmm. as a kind of a, like a propitious moment or something, right? Like chronos is time in the sense of, um, you know, like chronological order, succession of events, right? Right. Well, the time of the kairos would be more like a, a time of a, an opportunity, right? Like this is the propitious moment. This is your chance or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, which just seemed to be very related or thematically resonate with Lynch in general, and, and honestly, maybe even with, with the end of the series. You know? Yeah, I love how that idea holds through, and you can see it in the behind-the-scenes stuff, too, because mm-hmm. it's not just like there was one behind-the-scenes person running around, which I've been on film sets and such before in productions. You often will hire a photographer or a videographer to come in and get 
that stuff recorded. Sure. On this, we not only have Richard Boehmer doing uh, some behind-the-scenes stuff himself, mm-hmm. um, we have, like, uh, I think what's part of the professional crew that does some of the, like, Twin Peaks into the future, and there is some recording there. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, um, you get the Jason S. stuff, right? Yeah, the art about art. So in that sense, it's like a parallax even in the behind-the-scenes that there are certain times where I'm watching one of them, and I'll see Jason S. with his camera in the shot, Versus seeing, you know, Richard Boehmer with his oh, yeah, camera that's cool. in, the, yeah. in the background somewhere. Yeah, I didn't notice that so much. But that's and so cool. there's this really parallax cool. where we're kind of watching all these different um, um, takes on it, all these different perceptions yeah, different perspective, of the production. Uh, perspectives or what have you, yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, related to thinking about Kairos or, you know, it's just, there's all this, all of these indications of, you know, something happens while they're filming that Lynch picks up on and just incorporates or, yeah. or, or whatever, right? And mm-hmm. maybe you don't see that so much in, in this footage, but I recall seeing something about um, the stunt woman who did the scene where Shelly's on the car. Right, and the shoe. And her shoe flies off, yeah. right? And like that was not planned. Yeah. But Lynch is like, perfect. Yeah, that's excellent. That's um, exactly what would have happened that yeah. you wouldn't predict. Yeah. yeah, or I mean, of course, the old story about seeing Frank Silva's face in the mirror. Right. Whatever. So you do kind of somehow get this feeling like David Lynch manages to just kind of occupy this sort of uh, space of, of Kairos or something like that. Yeah, in, interesting. In way. Yeah. Or just how, like we were talking about earlier, how he's got the perception of this whole thing in his mind. Mm-hmm. Several people interviewed in the behind the scenes talk about how he knows exactly what he wants when he comes to set. Yeah. And how there's moments like you pointed out where he'll literally close his eyes. Oh, yeah. And describe what he's seeing because he has this pre-production role going through his head already. Yeah, particularly in that bit where they're filming the scene in the hotel room with uh, Tidbit with and Diane Kale. And, yeah, Tidbit and Kale. <laughs> yeah. uh, he just has his eyes closed. He's like, and your hand's going up and back. And, you know, it's just, yeah, I feel like he could see the film already. Yeah. And he's just trying to make it manifest. Yeah, he's got yeah. the grand perspective on it all. And there's a lot of uh, details we're about to talk into, uh, dive into, and talk about that are, are very specific. But in general, I walked away from behind the scenes just in complete admiration of his style, mm-hmm. of directing, of his capabilities, um, of the fact that he's kind of carved out his own methodology yeah. through years and years of like perfecting his craft, and how he is at the same time directing a film. He really is like painting a picture like he likes to do. He's really mm-hmm. designing furniture like he likes to do. So the kind of element, popping these symbolic elements in, telling a story, in some sense making it an enlightening thing that some, an onlooker will be enlightened by, and at moments keeping it highly political with some purpose mm. is all just fascinating to me. And to be able to still pull that off in a, on a budget with a minimum amount of time yeah. and 100 people buzzing around you. Yeah. That takes a huge amount yeah. to do, a huge amount of skill. Mm-hmm. And it, I really walked away from that thinking, like, you know, what an amazing craftsman. Oh, yeah, and I loved all of this stuff where you see him um, giving actors um, direction, like their motivations and things like that. And, mm-hmm. and be careful, right? Do, do we read into that? To what mm-hmm. extent is that, you know, telling us something to put into our interpretations? Or to what extent is it just, you know, him directing the actor? Right. Yeah, I trying to get a, a result out of it or um, versus spilling the beans to the actor of what is actually going on right. in the lodge, for example. Yeah. But regardless, I felt like, you know, I was saying to one of my friends about this, recommending that he watch this stuff, you know, like, this feels the closest to me that you're ever going to get to Lynch explaining his own work to you. Yeah, I agree. Is, 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 what is he saying to the actor before they film the scene? Yeah. Right? Like, he's never going to just, you know, sit down and explain. Yeah, and his that. process of um, running the actors through the scene. Right. Mm-hmm. I want you to be in the moment. I want to describe for you exactly what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. There's that moment 
where we're all sitting around doing the read through of the script and then we're rehearsing our lines and memorizing. And then there's that moment where we're here and we're in the radio station and now yeah. you see exactly where your body is in relation to the wall that I'm talking about or whatever. Oh, yeah. And he seems so particular. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about um, uh, the one where he's talking to Tom Sizemore and yeah. they're rehearsing the lines. With the dandruff and scene? He, he, no, no, not the dandruff one. The one in um, The Office. The one oh, okay, where Dougie coffee. calls him a liar. Yes, right. And, and and Tom Sizemore keeps like putting the emphasis on liar. And he's like, no, no, don't underline right. liar. Yeah. You know, this is just... Hmm. Yeah, once just right. Yeah, because he mm -hmm. he must have spent so much time like in his mind perfecting the alternative options, you know, picking what he wanted to happen. Yeah, and carrying that through to the end to keep your vision. Mm -hmm. And of course, not everybody could do that skill wise, and also yeah. not everybody could do that. Not everybody has the gravitas to command a crew to do that. Well, that's what I mean. Just down to that level of detail where it's not just like, oh, you're the actor. Here are your lines. Mm -hmm. You figure out how you're going to say your lines. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. Different people work in different ways. It just seems clear. Lynch is like, no, you know, not only is this your line, but you needed to say the line with the right emphasis. Correct. You know? Yeah. And, and I thought that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very skilled. And it's um, one of the, f you know, we really haven't gotten that perspective on this project. Mm -hmm. I've seen some, like on the Dune Blu ray, for example, there's some behind the scenes interviews and such like that. And uh, we've seen some stuff on set with Lost Highway. Um, and you know, there's been writings about that. David Foster Wallace's uh, right. essay, yep. mm -hmm. you know. Um, but for Twin Peaks itself, I haven't really seen too much of the behind the scenes in the production. But this gives us a ton, and it was really a pleasure to see all that. Yeah, really cool. And so there are a couple of different things I think we're going to you know work through kind of in order. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got the documentary from um, Charles de Lazaricus. Mm -hmm. I'm probably saying that wrong. Uh, it's called Very Lovely Dream. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's a couple um, done by Richard Boehmer. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the whole of Disc 8 is taken up by those impression docs uh, done by Jason S. Jason S., yeah. Um, Which also has original music. Um, mm -hmm. Do you know the other name of the person that was involved that did the music for that? Uh, the, the person who did the music and the narration is... Um, Joseph Maria Schaefer, Schaffer. Okay. I'm probably saying that wrong. Is it Joseph? Is it Joseph? Right. I don't know. Sorry. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Uh, just, just, I've only seen it printed. Um, but yeah, the, um, he's the one who does the narration and the music. Apparently. Yeah. And I just thought um, how cool that was that in some sense it was like a highly stylized and poetic mm -hmm. um, behind the scenes because we're seeing. Um, uh, a skilled craftsman, Lynch and Frost and everybody else together working, but it's told through the filter of like a poet who is observing it. It's almost like, um, I think you put it this way, that it's almost like an alien comes to Earth and makes a documentary about humans or something. Yeah, I mean, I think this was intentional. Yeah. You know, but I mean, just all the phrasings, like the man with the gray elevated hair, yeah. you know, and um, describing things in, in strange ways. Highly stylized. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Maybe there are some people who didn't enjoy that, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed um, it a lot. I thought the soundtrack helped and went with it quite well, too. Mm -hmm. This minimalist soundscape that at times um, gets kind of really crazy and fuzzy, mm -hmm. and at other times is is just will just be a drone, and at other times is kind of complex with the types of uh, textures you get in it. Mm -hmm. And then uh, each one has, and how many of them are there? They're like eight or I nine? I think they're... Yeah, I mean, um, around ten. ten or something. But the number of completion. Yeah. Oh, is it? <laughs> I don't know. I think it. I think it is ten, though. Actually. Yeah. And for each one of them, you get the. It'll start and end, and also come in and out throughout. 
this kind of poetic narrative voice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm also a huge Herzog fan, and I, can't, I couldn't help think while I was watching oh, yeah. that that somehow this is of the style of Herzog making a project about Twin Peaks is what, is what that mm-hmm. would have looked like somehow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, it, but I thought it was good, right? So I, I don't even quite want to say a poor man's Herzog. It was just sort of Herzog. No, no, he, they executed it well. Yeah, yeah it the music well was great. It yeah. was well captured. And, um, uh, a couple of things I noticed in it is that it seemed to me like uh, Jason S. Um, was traveling with Lynch to certain of the locations because it, they show a number of locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there were it, probably, it seemed to me, there were moments when Lynch was working and couldn't have a behind-the-scenes camera with him. And so what we get is Jason S. in the area around there taking driving footage, um, uh, scenic shots, and also mm. drone footage. Yeah, so there was no, a lot of cool, cool drone footage of the Washington area, of Las Vegas... Um, of South Dakota, mm-hmm. and um, I thought it was really great to kind of get the combination of that with the narrative and the music talking about the project. Uh, it was just highly interesting to me. There's like another yeah. world within a world about a show yeah, no, that it. has a world within a world, yeah. and yeah, you know. And um, I don't know how much we're going to go into any of the lines in the narration, but the one that I really sticks in my memories, and he's just like, "Do you see the man climbing the wall?" <laughs> because you don't see him, does that mean he does not exist? Yeah. You know, I don't know. <laughs> right. And that was a really cool thing to do it in that way, to have this kind of art made about art. And it sort of just adds another layer of, um, I don't know, stuff to experience about it. Thematically, definitely. It fit. It worked for me. Yeah, I yeah. highly agree. There's this notion that, you know, why does this have to be business? Why does there ever have to be a purely analytical, academic you know, even that kind of discussion about it can be creative, you know. Mm-hmm. Right, which in contrast to the Bamer stuff, I mean, I thought that was cool too, but that just seems much more straightforward. Yeah. You know. That that to um, me seemed like fly on the wall kind of stuff mm-hmm. where just purely observational and being at the right place at the right time to capture some fun stuff. I mean, it's cool, you mm-hmm. know, and it's cool that they have this relationship where David Lynch would be like, hey, Buster, come film the Red Room. Yeah. You know. Um, <laughs> right. But, uh, but, yeah, so – um. I think what we're going to do now is we're basically going to work through these things, and uh, hopefully that's not too choppy. We're going to just move through talking about things that we think are kind of interesting, we're worth talking about. So, yeah, uh, to start with A Very Lovely Dream, right? This is uh, the work by Charles de Lazurica, if we're pronouncing that correctly. I think probably not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's a, a number of uh, really interesting things to learn and to witness in this one. Yeah, and this one really has the feeling of you know, the theme is just kind of, this is the return to yeah. Twin Peaks. This is people coming back, you know, the band's getting back together. Yeah. Um, and what people's experiences are like along those lines. Um, and so it was really kind of heartwarming in a lot of ways and about the town and the extent to which it's the same. Maybe it's changed. Now they reworked, you know, they, they recreated some of these sets like the stair, uh, sheriff station. Sheriff station right next to uh, the mill, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And um, and then the story about when um, Lucy or Kimmy is um, yeah Kimmy Robertson's first, first day on set, and so Lynch actually uh, asks uh, does a specific request for her to be led on the set, being mm-hmm. having her arm held by somebody yeah by two people like one person right. on each side to take one of her arms and you know she's telling the story and saying like oh, I can only I'm not I'm, I'm an adult you know yeah um, but then you know she says well yeah when she walked into the sheriff sheriff station her her knees buckled you know it was just like it's the same it's, yeah. and it's the same people and the, the whole thing and and yeah as you were saying earlier right really cool that Lynch would have that um foresight like he knows Kimmy Robertson so well that he's like you know you should do this for her yeah you know yeah 
And I love the idea that that is applicable to the actors who are making a project about revisiting a time 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. And as we've talked, all the strange time slipping and, you know, possible um, breaking down of a space-time continuum and that kind mm -hmm. of thing. But you really get that in real life with this and those weird moments that are like deja vu moments or revisiting something. Or, oh, I forgot about that. I haven't thought of that in 20 years, you know. But yeah. to slip back into a set that is very specifically designed and worked by a number of people mm -hmm. to look exactly like it was. And you get a number of things, right? Like, so uh, Harry, Goaz, or Andy. Yeah. I, I want to be like Lynch and just call them their character's names all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> talking about, um, you know, showing up, meeting David, and just feeling like, yeah, you've seen a friend, but not one, not that it hadn't been uh, 25 years, but right. it had been like much less time. It was just falling right back into something. Right. And it seems like um, a lot of the old cast were having experiences like that, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, from our perspective, as we started hearing rumblings that this was going to happen, mm -hmm. there was a little phase of time where it was like, oh, but Showtime's not going to give him the money, so he's not going to do it. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that little phase of time. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, we personally are getting, invested yeah. in this back then, too, of like, oh, is the band going to get back together? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I definitely remember that because I was getting on the Twitter and stuff with the like hashtag no lynch, no peaks. And, yeah. You know, <laughs> people were like, we're going to make this, you no, know, seriously, the plans are like, we're going to make this trend at this time, like Twitter bomb. And I was like, all, all in on it. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. And um, just, so just to see this in the behind the scenes after we've seen the whole series and we got what we wanted, mm -hmm. but to look back on it and to see, oh yeah, all the actors and all the crew, everybody kind of had that feeling only the um, desire was to, uh, was affecting them way more. This was the next year of their careers and even beyond that, what they would do in the future. Mm -hmm. And just to think of one uh, project that, you know, we have a whole city of people working on yeah. And the fact that it came down to the whim of somebody's decision as to whether or not it would be made, um, it's it was, a, I'm sure, uh, a lot of hopes um, by cast and crew back then hmm. that when they came to fruition must have been a really cool, positive feeling of like, okay, yes, it's happening. You know? Right. And that's the other thing, right? Getting basically the same crew members and, and everything, um, uh, at least for the most part. Right. Mm -hmm. that, that, I mean, that these are the people Lynch wants to work with and mm -hmm. you know, calls you up and says, hey, come come work for me. We're making Twin Peaks and yep. people come. And, and it's all really cool, man. Yeah. And that's just exactly the description of this segment, A Very Lovely Dream, where yeah. he's pointing out and getting these actors talk about working with Lynch and how to them it is very lovely to work with him. And he's a, a, an authentic master. These people really authentically loved working with him. Yeah, not to I say there weren't the, trying moments, but yeah, yeah. You know. I love the bit where uh, where Kimmy's talking about um, actors being like paint and writing this letter to Lynch, um, wanting to be blue. Oh, let me be blue for you again, or something like this. <laughs> cool. But I like the metaphor. I feel like it's it's one I made before. Maybe I've heard someone like her make it before in other stuff, and I just stuck with me. But it does seem to me that that Lynch is kind of he's painting with these people. Actually, you know, mm -hmm. like he, he casts these people for these roles because that's how he sees the role, and then it's just kind of, yeah, I don't know. But at the same time, that's not demeaning to them, right? Mm -hmm. And you also have the stuff about him being very um, actor centrist, actor centrist, right? Yeah. Um, or showing his gratitude to everyone, making everyone feel, um, you know, appreciated for their contribution and. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's some stuff too. in there with Andy cool. describing him, and we I just got the feeling, you know, because Andy is also an artist in real life when he's right. not in Twin Peaks. You know, so just the idea of uh, him describing kind of the 
passion and compassion with it within which Lynch works. You know, mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, he said something about um, a kind of instant feeling of trust or something. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like, um, and then also in here related to that, right, is um, how he gives the rap to everyone, right? Right. And um, it's in this one, I think. Yeah. Where the, they're showing the footage as uh, Harry goes is talking about that, and you see that when when he's talking about giving this rap to everyone, he means everyone. Yeah, right. Like a person's done filming their scenes, Lynch will call everyone around and say that's a rap for you know character's name because mm-hmm. he always uses the character's name. Well, sometimes with some nice adjectives, some creative <laughs> adjectives to go there. Yeah, but you see in that um, in the in the footage here as um, and he's talking about that. You see even him doing that for, like, the um, unnamed farmer. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, maybe it's probably, it might only be for people who have lines, I guess. Yeah. You know, um, or names in some sense. But I, I don't know. It really seems like he is, um, you know, showing that appreciation for the contribution of everyone and treating everyone really equally at that level. Yeah. You know, which is really cool. I think that's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know you get the respect and uh, the the admiration, the good feelings from everybody from doing something like that. But it's not staged. He really is feeling like, oh, we're a family mm-hmm. here in this moment, and we're making this project together. We're pulling together. Yeah. And uh, oftentimes when he starts that, he'll say, "Okay, gather around, everybody, gather around, anybody." There's some really sad news that happened a couple of times. And as I was watching the behind the scenes, where I thought, mm-hmm. like, "Oh man, this is where he's going to announce the loss of oh, one yeah, of their someone, friends." Yeah, but no. But no, what he's announcing is the end, we're, this is the mm-hmm. end of working with you on this. Mm-hmm. It's been fantastic. It's uh, bittersweet. Yeah. Yeah, and we see a number of these through the impression stock too. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much we'll we'll hit on them later, but I mean, it was really kind of heartwarming to see some of these. You mm-hmm. know, the the rap for Laura Dern or Naomi Watts or yeah. Sherilyn Finn in particular. Yeah. Um, really cool, really yeah. cool stuff. Yeah. Gets emotional. Uh, there's a couple of specific details in here that you pointed out. One of them, um, was, uh, where we notice Lynch telling Kyle, um, that no time has passed for him. Oh yeah. Right. Which is, um, hmm. Pretty interesting. So it, if he's been in the lodge for 25 years. Yeah. And then throughout the series, we've all wondered, you know, what's occurred during this time. We've seen, you know, kind of shades of it. Yeah. But I always kind of instinctually thought he's been in there aware that 25 years has passed and he's been sitting in a chair aging, almost in this tormented yeah. in-between state. But this would seem to indicate not so much. Right. I mean, if he we... says no time has passed for him, I, and again, it's like you're saying earlier, is he saying that to Kyle McLaughlin just to say, it's as if, Yeah. you know, or is he saying, oh no, for Cooper, very <laughs> in the canon, no time has passed. Well, but if we, we read it that way... I mean, we've always had this thought that the time in the lodges is weird, or it's not like right. normal experience of time. And um, and again, one way you could approach that would be in terms of um, dream logic or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you can have this experience while you're dreaming as though a great amount of time has passed, but it was only a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, you wake up, hit snooze, right? right. And then go back to dreaming, and like all this shit could happen, right? And then you you wake up and it's like you know ten minutes later, which fits with the concept of Kairos too as well. Yeah, some... and how he's weaving this picture, trying to get the actors. You know, it's funny because to have such a broad vision and to know specifically what that is, to know exactly what you want on set, mm-hmm. 
and to relate enough of that to your actors to get them to share the vision with you, you yeah. know, seems like it would be a very tricky thing to do, especially with right. such a huge cast of people. You know? Right. So, but knowingly, knowing that certain people you have to keep in the dark about certain things, and so mm -hmm. you might, as sometimes instead of explaining a full thing, you might have to nudge people a little bit in a certain direction mm -hmm. versus giving the whole spiel, right? Yeah, but I, it, it's striking to me how good he seems to be at giving those motivations, but again, in, the, in a very distinctly uh, Lynchian kind of way. Yeah. I don't imagine other directors doing the same kind of thing so yeah. much. You know? And the, the gravitas he's built up in over the years of his career and all these movies, but also I think something special about Lynch is that from the beginning he's been like, no, I don't play by the rules. So, yeah. and so, so he's broken them long ago and crafted his own. Mm -hmm. Nobody can come to him and say, wait, you're doing it wrong. This is how you do it. Right. That's unheard of to try to tell somebody like David Lynch that. At least because... in the past 30 years, right? Yeah. Because yeah. I, the story is that after, after he made Dune right. and didn't get final cut on Dune, Right. Right. The story is that he said, never again. Yeah. Right. I will take less money for Blue Velvet, yeah. but you've got to give me total control. Well, and this and is like cut. Kubrick working with Kirk Douglas, too. I mean, mm -hmm. in Spartacus, there was that whole thing, too. So it's like once you clash against that kind of power mm -hmm. and um, the, uh, a real artist, auteur, will say, you know what? It, I'm not going to sacrifice my vision from now on. Yeah. But this was the same deal, right? Yeah. You know, this is Dino De Laurentiis, Dune and Blue Velvet, right? Like his funding was coming from the same source. Mm -hmm. And uh, after losing Final Cut on Dune, apparently he was um, willing to take way less money for Blue Velvet mm -hmm. than he would have gotten, right? If he hadn't insisted on uh, that control in Final Cut, he could have had more money for Blue Velvet. Mm -hmm. What it's worth. And David, to this day, still denounces Dune. Sorry, I didn't mean to do an alliteration so much. <laughs> but he still, it's his, he denounces it, right? He's like, I'm not, I wasn't... Um, I think so. I don't yeah. know if that's quite... It may be it might be a little too strong to say denounce, but yeah, I yeah. mean it does seem like there are indications. Something I wondered like, about because I don't know sometimes too, too harsh criticism. Maybe I actually have a Dune shirt. I love Dune. I love yeah. the novel, but I do mm -hmm. love Lynch's film. Mm -hmm. And I've had people come up to me and say, "Oh, nice shirt." You know that movie was garbage, and I just oh, I, I kind of never I, understand I, that because I think good. it's I think it's amazing. I think it's pretty good. I think it's more just a matter of because he didn't have it got taken away from him, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that. You know, Lynch really does have that view that the whole thing is not done until the, all the editing's done and everything. Yeah. Right. Like that's the work. That's the right communication. Right. Um, you know, like don't ask me to interpret the film. Like watch the film. The film is the communication right. from me. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And so, with Dune having that taken away, I think that's why he he sort of does, doesn't recognize it as as fully his own work. As, I see. You know, yeah. it, it sort of it became someone else's work. By the end of it, he didn't get to sort of carry it all the way through. But regardless, that might have been one of the experiences that made him who he is, of course, and that now when we see his work and have mm -hmm. since, it's he's got this um, like this perfect vision oh, yeah. that he I, knows he needs to execute. Yeah, and I think that's pretty clear yeah. from, I mean, reading um, like the Lynch on Lynch book, I think it is, and interviews with him. Like, yeah, that he's willing to talk about. He's willing to talk about, you know, like, oh, after doing, I was like, no, I'm going to have Final Cut or... No, mm -hmm. not doing it but um, even within the return there are moments and of course he's got full control and he held out until they had mm -hmm. the gave him the number of episodes he wanted to pull the story off in mm -hmm. uh, even within that shooting schedule actors schedules there's so many things that we see a few moments yeah that, that can be difficult where he doesn't yeah. get the time every single time to complete his vision and then as he states in the behind the scenes mm -hmm. to hopefully get some time to experiment as well 
Yeah, this yeah. is uh, in the Jason S stuff. I think particularly mm-hmm. in the Polish account one where he's expressing frustration, mm-hmm. uh, which was interesting. I wonder to what extent Jason S was purposely putting it in that one, given yeah. the Polish account scene and the whole oh, people are under a lot of stress, Bradley. You know? oh, that was the stress episode of his behind yeah, the scenes. Yeah, we see Lynch being frustrated. Oh. And like, two days? Why the fuck is it two days? <laughs> yeah, We're on right. the stage. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm never fucking working like this again. Yeah. It's Fucking bullshit. <laughs> and to think and how much I love it and how perfectly, from my perspective, it's been executed. Uh-huh. And to, to hear that maybe they still didn't get 100% of what they would have liked to make it. Mm-hmm. And so what else? I mean, it's so admirable, you know. Well, I think it's almost, you know, what he says there about having no space to dream or experiment. You yeah. know, and he's like, I could I could have spent a week in the Fireman's place. I oh, fucking yeah. love that place, yeah. you know. <laughs> right. But, you know, they're on this tight schedule, and it makes sense, man. I mean, they calm him down, ultimately, even in that yeah. in that footage, you know. Yeah. But it makes sense, too. I mean, even as it was, they were filming for, you know, months. Yeah. But then uh, counter to that, there are moments that we, like one we see here with a very lovely dream, mm-hmm. where it comes together very quickly, and everybody executes perfectly. With Wally Brando. Wally Brando. Yeah. Right. So Michael Sarah comes in. Um, he's Wally Brando. He's Lucy and Andy's son. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Forrester comes out because he wants to pay some homage to him, right? Yeah, he wants yeah. to mm-hmm. give him respect. And uh, what a cool scene. I remember talking about that the night after we watched it the first time. Uh-huh. It was hilarious. It was unexpected. Here in the behind the scenes, we see them shooting it, and we find out that it that was the first take, right? That they did a second take, it sounded like, just yeah. to have a safety almost. Mm-hmm. But that as Lynch was watching it, it sounded like... Um, they went through it, he watched it in real time and realized right away that that first one was the one he would use. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, it could have been the second take. I don't know if that's entirely clear, but so um, part of um, the background or, or what we're being told about this is coming from uh, Kimmy Robertson, again, yeah. right? And she's talking about, you know, talking to Michael Seurat and, and, you know, he's thinking he's going to have to do this thing over and over again like you do, mm-hmm. you know? And so the distinctiveness of that experience, too, like yeah. that... He did it the first time, and Lynch said, that's great. You think you got one more in you? Yeah. You know, that's sort of like, Wait, just what? one? We weren't going to be here till 5 a.m.? Yeah, yeah. Like, awesome. Just one, yeah. you know, and so. And Kimmy mentioned something about um, verses ringing the last bit of life and color yeah. out of a thing or whatnot, however she puts it. Yeah, which, doing it so many times. Yeah. That it, yeah, yeah that, that reflected the kind of energy that probably working for Lynch, everybody is aware of, mm-hmm. that it's a sensitivity that we can end up beating a dead horse or something. Now, know? in contrast, apparently, Harry Goas had to do 47 takes, he says, of that scene in oh, the parking lot. Oh, the station lot. wagon, <laughs> yeah. And having something to do with the mechanism of the station wagon door or something. I guess. Never... He says, I don't know. I know I know that station wagon, and I don't know why I had to do 47 takes. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Um, but I was, I was saying to you before we sat down, the, the fact that it's the number 47 was noteworthy to me. Yeah. Um, For, because of why? Well, because of this whole thing of the um, the forty seven society. Oh, and right. Such, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I discovered. Well, can I was, you go into this a little bit then? If it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. If people are interested, I think it's sort of fascinating, and and there's a Lynch connection because I first hit on it when I was uh, preparing some little thing about Inland Empire. Mm-hmm. I looked up the number forty seven, and well, you know, you can look up any number on Wikipedia, for example, and usually you just get a very boring page. You know, about mm-hmm. this is the numeral. It's a prime number. About 47, there's all this stuff, including this 47 society, which was founded in Pomona, California, mm-hmm. which is also referenced in the Empire. Um, but they have this idea that 47 is um, 
the quintessential random number, as they put it. Right. You showed me this page. I looked through a little bit. It said something along the lines of, if things are truly random, the number 47 will come up more <laughs> often than it won't or more often than other numbers will. Yeah, it's the most random. It doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, like, obviously, this is bullshit. Um, but that if you're, the idea is basically that if you're randomly generating numbers, you get 47 more than any other number, something like that. Which is uh, an Ouroboros or something, right? Because it feeds into yeah. itself. Like you can't. That means that there is. It's not random. Then, if that's how that would state. <laughs> yeah, basically, it's a sort of paradox to it. Yeah. But part of what's interesting about this, so this has been around for a bit, and this idea and so on. Of course, it's a little bit ridiculous, or a lot ridiculous. Um, but it's also interesting once you're keyed into this, then you might start noticing forty-seven all over the place. Yeah. The question being that is that just because you're paying attention and looking for 47 now? Mm-hmm. Probably. Mm-hmm. But further, this got picked up on by a lot of um, media types. So there's this whole Star Trek connection and in other movies and other films and so on. And now it's like people know about this 47 thing. Mm-hmm. So they'll use the number 47 when they're after a random number. It doesn't matter how many. Mm-hmm. Like how many, there were 47 soldiers coming at us or whatever, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't really matter what the number was, but they'll start going to 47. Mm -hmm. So you put all this together. Once you become aware of this idea being out there, and if you're consuming um, the media, right, the film, the TV shows, it does indeed start to seem like you're seeing the number 47 all over the place. Yeah, so it's like a self-fulfilled prophecy or something Mm -hmm. in that sense that people will start to use that and play off of it, and then that feeds it more. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Interesting. And I'm, I'm pretty... But it doesn't add up to 10, the number of completion. No. It adds up to 11, which, how would that be interpreted? Then adds up to two, or 11 is the number of completion plus one for rebirth Dude, I don't or know something. About, I don't know about but this that, stuff. I, I don't either, really. It's, it's speculation <laughs> to me, but I think it's fascinating that there is this numerological element that we also do get in behind the scenes. Right, there's that point where Lynch talks about the time when he wakes up yes. having to equal seven. Yeah, the, when he wakes up, it has to, but it has to add up to 10? Is that what it was? No, seven. It's like, to, yesterday I got up at 5.02. Oh, today. I see. Yeah. And, and then, like, but for today it was like I got up at uh, 6.00. Third, I don't even know, 636 or something. Yeah. Six, and that, I don't know, that's 16, and then that's 7. And you're like, what? what? <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, I got that wrong. I don't remember what the numbers were. Yeah, but it but was I something saw, like you I could add the numbers twice, in general, I mean, granted, there's an alarm clock, but to be like, oh, this is the number of the time that I decide to wake up, because we don't, you know, yeah. outside of an alarm, you don't really decide to wake up at a certain time. So right. it was kind of interesting um, act of will in general, it sounded like, kind of, but... But regardless, the idea of the numerology and the adding these things up and the number of completion and that sort of thing, if he's talking about that kind of stuff as we're watching this, mm-hmm. and then we have stuff like 430 and the oh, numbers yeah. mm-hmm. in the show, yeah, I can't help but think that that definitely means that there is a specific meaning behind the numbers. Ooh, 430 adds up to 7. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that would be a birth number. And what are the, just I let's guess. go through them real quick. There was another, what was the other three digit number that was a, a significant one in the show? 253. 253. That adds up to 10. That's, number That's of a number of completion. So here we have a 7 yeah. and a 10. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's as simple as that, is that there's one for the wake up number, which is a nice lucky, or lucky sevens. And yeah, the lucky casino. seven, lots of sevens. And the seven days, coffee yeah. or whatever it is, right? Well, that's the Z from Z, uh, Zyman's coffee, right? Oh, that's what it is, yeah. yeah. We but, I originally uh, thought it was a seven. Yeah, it looks like a seven in the yeah. first scenes, but uh, it's ultimately the Z. But the and, architecture uh, company or the insurance company is right? lucky seven. That's lucky seven. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So anyway, there's what's aside from the possible numerological attraction of favorite numbers, 
what's behind that? We don't know. It could be just and nothing, yeah. but it's and, fun to think of, you know. And I don't know, with the 47 thing, given what I was saying about Inland Empire, I'm positive Lynch is aware of this. Because you don't just get a reference to the number 47 and a reference in, to a Pomona mm-hmm. without being aware, I don't think, mm-hmm. uh, which those are in Inland Empire. Um, whether that plays in here at all, whether Harry Goez is saying 47 with some background awareness of this, mm-hmm. I don't know. Was it actually 47 takes, mm-hmm. right? At one level, it could just be a whole bunch of takes, and maybe maybe Harry Goaz is keyed into this whole forty-seven running inside joke thing, hmm. um, or not. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is the most random number. We over the next couple of weeks, I will be looking for it for sure. Well, <laughs> oh, you'll see it everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's seven oh four right now. Oh my god. <gasps> um, actually, it is seven fourteen p.m. right now. Oh my gosh. So anyway. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so uh, a very lovely dream. It was nice to get that uh, fresh in the beginning of all of the extras because it was kind of like, like you said, the idea of bringing the band back together and Mm -hmm. it kind of framed the rest of the behind the scenes that we would see. Some of them are a little bit more procedural. I thought with the Richard Bamer stuff, a lot of that was just like fly on the wall, kind of seeing the the cool things happening. Yeah, I think we're going to go to that And there's some great stuff in that. And there's some cool stuff to to hit on, but stylistically it was very... um, Mm -hmm. But I liked that a very lovely dream kind of set the stage for the rest of it, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, so first of all, we get Richard Bamer, Ben Horn, yeah. and he, uh, obviously has his own hobbies and his own love of the craft. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of, uh, you know, photos and such that he took back in the original run. I don't know if people have seen these, um, there's black and white photos from in the red room and, and such. Mm-hmm. And one video I really like is putting these together with, um, Julie Cruz's The Nightingale. You can find that on YouTube. Oh, cool. I would recommend it. I bet that's good. The Nightingale's playing, and you just see all of these shots of the actors in the Red Room in black and white from Mm -hmm. the original run. Um, So there's a connection, right? Why would David Lynch call him up and have him do this in the Red Room? It's all in the Red Room, and I think that's why. Yeah. Yeah, Behind the Red Curtain um, Mm -hmm. is the first one, right? And there's a few things that we learned in here. One of the uh, amusing things is when we catch... Frank, Robert Forrester, yeah. asking questions about... Yeah, it's clear he has not seen <laughs> Twin Peaks. Yeah. The original Twin Peaks. Yeah. There's a couple times this happens, I believe. One of the times mm-hmm. he gave me a chuckle, I think he's asking about Bobby and Laura having... They have some sort yeah, of Yeah, some previous... sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, when... that's just kind of uh, really hilarious to me. It's like, oh, yeah. you didn't catch that? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, because you're not you, Harry S. Truman. Yeah, you, you don't didn't. know this. Yeah. You weren't there. <laughs> right. And then the other point, I think, is um, when he asks what his secretary's name is. So yeah. He doesn't know Lucy's name. Yeah. yeah. Come on. So he, yeah, he never... Never watched the show, at least mm-hmm. prior to this, apparently. But actually, I'm sure that that is, in the end, an asset to the character because kind of Frank does step into this world not having – he wasn't really around. I mean, yeah, in true. Secret History, we find out that he was around on the football team with all the Bookhouse boys, and he's one of them. Right. But he's there's kind of this chapter where Frank uh, Truman is not a part of the scene, mm-hmm. and then after Harry gets sick, he kind of comes back into this world. And, you know, one of the things he missed was the murder of Laura Palmer. Yeah, I think it works fairly well with the character because he wasn't there mm-hmm. for those original events, you know. So mm-hmm. um, it's just kind of striking to me. Yeah. You know, it's clear he hasn't seen it. Uh, another thing that you pointed out was that uh, Lynch is constantly um, referring to Mr. C as Cooper. Yeah, for the most part. And that Mr. C was kind of, uh, is, that a, is that in the show or is that a construct from the fans? To, uh, who ended, Who's using the term Mr. C? Is that in the show? Us. Uh, well, part of it, it's it's the first thing he's called. He shows up uh, at the um, whatever place, and Otis says, Mr. C. Oh, that's what it is, right. Okay. Um, and I think part of why we settled on it um, was related to going back to the Comic-Con panel. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Carl McLaughlin says that that's his preferred name for the character. He's oh, like, I I, for whatever reason, I sort of like Mr. C. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I recall when we were starting the podcast, we had to make a decision. Like, mm-hmm. what are we consistently going to call the doppelganger? And when we settled on that, I think for those reasons. Yeah. And there was, uh, a, it was funny at the time, there were a number of options, like the doppelkoop. Well, there still are. Koopelganger yeah, or whatever. Yeah, call them um, ba- bad coop. Yeah. And, um, uh, the, uh, the full thing that Lynch will sometimes refer to him as is Cooper double. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, but yeah, it was striking to me that he's often just saying Cooper mm-hmm. because he does have this tendency to refer to characters um, or actors by the characters' names. Yeah. And when it comes to Kyle, I don't know. There's just something I'm thinking about because you mm-hmm. have these times when he's referring to him as Cooper, Cooper Double, Dougie. Dougie, yeah. Or sometimes it's just Kale. Kale, Kale. yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and uh, I don't know. Is there something to read into there? Um, I don't know. Well, I but, just got the feeling it's like Herzog and Kinski or something like that. Like their relationship, it's really his number one actor. Yeah. And that there's so many years of history to think about. I mean, do you know off the top of your head how old was Kyle MacLachlan when he shot Blue Velvet? You know, he, oh, was, he was pretty young. young. He was young. Granted, Lynch was pretty young at the, at the time too. But it's interesting that it's been more than 25 years that they've been working together. We're all yeah. talking about. Oh wow! Twenty five years later, it's still a thing. But no, if you, yeah, if you no, go back to I when they say first Kyle started was working, like twenty. Yeah, we'd have to look it up to be sure. Yeah, but I mean, but so they they have this history, and then they kind of yeah. know each other beyond just this one project. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it's just also you know, um, Kyle McLaughlin's character is never named in the credits of the Return. Oh right, right. yeah. It's always just starring Kyle McLaughlin, yeah. which is kind of brilliant because mm-hmm. there is that question. They're like, well, wait. Who is he? And we were talking about the farewells, the clapouts, mm-hmm. and I don't know if we mentioned already that he does get a couple of them. He, there's not just one for Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah, this is the very end of the uh, impressions um, docs where um, even like as the credits are rolling, they show us the other ones, right? Yeah. So they give one for, um, first he calls him our Dougie in a black suit. Yeah. Which is like, <laughs> this is weird because this is this should be Cooper, right? right. Why isn't he calling that one Cooper, right? right? Um. Then you get one for um, the OGD, who Lynch says is the the real but not so real Dougie Jones. That's the one who thanks him for feeding him. Yeah, when he's in the mm-hmm. he's got like the sort of fat suit on. Mm-hmm. Thank you for feeding me. Uh, and then the one for the double is interesting because it seems like Lynch hesitates a little bit, mm-hmm. and then says something like, "This very fine gentleman, Cooper Double." So also in this first Bamer piece, we get. A couple of other interesting shots. We see some green screen work that's happening. Where is it? Riley Lynch there, demo demonstrating where the horse would be. Yeah, and it's like he's petting the horse. Yeah, he's petting an invisible cool. horse. And yeah, it's kind of, exactly. Kind of interesting that he's like you know up and to the left a little bit more kind of thing until uh-huh. he gets him in the right. It's just positioning. Yeah. But from a behind the scenes perspective, it is kind of a fun thing to witness. It's like if you just randomly walked across that, you would be like, "What the hell are these people doing?" Mm-hmm. You know. Indeed. But Lynch has the footage of the white horse, which I thought was the same footage. I mean, they must have rented a white horse back in 91. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And continually use that footage whenever they've needed it. Yeah, I would guess. And also along those uh, kinds of lines, you see them here looking back at the original footage of Laura whispering in Cooper's ear. Yeah, that was kind of neat. As they're preparing to film the new version of that. Yeah. So, so they're trying to match exactly again, 25 years later, where mm-hmm. were your shoulders exactly and that kind of thing. More or less, yeah, I guess. And, uh, oh, also we were talking about what he refers to characters as, right? He, how he tends to refer to um, actors by their characters' names. 
Yeah, but when you have actors that are playing different roles, you get a couple moments like that, right? Where is it? Does he call Laura Carrie? Yeah, but in, in the lodge. In the lodge, he calls her Carrie Page. Yeah. I so, wish I, I I don't know I don't know how much to read into that, but yeah. in the lodge he calls her Carrie Page. Yeah. Which you certainly could read into that because yeah. I mean it's all a, like. Don't I look exactly like Laura Palmer? You know, mm-hmm. I feel like her, but sometimes my arms bend back. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there are all of those indications and all of her lines that this kind of is but isn't Laura Palmer. So Lynch calling her Carrie Page hmm. was striking to me. Mm-hmm. stood out. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And again, tying all this into the kind of like uh, multiplicity, the multiverse thing that we've kind of talked about as the time space is breaking down, you get time travel and doppelgangers and the possibility that with fractured time, maybe at a decision point, your own self splits and goes to both directions, despite yeah. which direction your consciousness might take. Yeah, we got Schrodinger's Laura. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And they, they cut a bit of that line we learn here, right? It's, I am dead, yet I li- live. Mm-hmm. You see me alive. That didn't make the cut. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You see me alive, do you recognize me? Yeah. Um, interesting. Interesting. And um, so that, again, it's back to that. Now, here's something very interesting to think about because yeah. we can take this as some wild sci-fi fantasy or we can take it as a very real interpretation of how re- how this kind of reality works mm-hmm. that you're not, that we're not aware of in our waking state. Right. But, you know, there's a possibility that there's another you walking around out there on Earth somewhere, maybe in Odessa, Texas or whatnot. You know? Well, yeah, maybe it's on, or it's on Earth, too. Yeah. Yeah. Or Earth too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh pretty fascinating. Um uh what else do we get in this uh Richard Bamer section is all the red room stuff, isn't it? So we get like right. the hanging of the curtain stuff, mm-hmm. uh some of procedurally and technologically how they pull off some of these shots. Mm-hmm. Um I remember thinking as we were watching the return how cool it was to see oh, okay, wow, here's the curtains with a big fan blowing them or you know, there there are certain things that we get with the tile floor that we never saw in the first one. Yeah. But there, you could tell that they were thinking like, okay, what can we do now with the technology we have now? Um, and we do kind of see a, some of this stuff happening in this bit. Yeah, and then, then the second, there are two Richard Bamer docs, right? And the second run uh, takes its name from uh, David Lynch saying at one point, I had bad milk in there, dude. That's the name of your memoir. Yeah, right? yeah. It's funny. And they, is... At the end, they got the guy walking, and they put it up on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just a couple of things in there that I made a note of. Um, one of which was the the giant or the fireman, Carl Strickin, mm-hmm. practicing his lines. Right? Yeah, he's doing some backwards lines, but he's on set in the red room. Yeah, which I mean, I guess they filmed it there, right? But mm-hmm. it would seem in the in the narrative, I don't. He was he was elsewhere. Yeah, I got yeah. the impression that like the first footage we see of him in the return, and it comes up again later with Andy, yeah. is that maybe they shot some stuff in the red room, but because it was uh, color treated, so that we didn't see where the curtains were in the background were red, it was yeah. black and white. Or maybe it was just another set connected to that in the same space because they're clearly working on yeah, you know, stages here. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless, uh, it's noteworthy to me that the line that he's practicing in this Richard Bamer doc is, "Do you remember?" Yeah. Um, and we don't exactly hear that. No, he never says that. Yeah. He says, remember. But mm. if you remember when he says, remember. I remember. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's at the beginning, right? Yeah. He says, remember Richard and Linda. Yeah. And this thing that so many of us were obsessing over for, you know, the entire run. Like, what, what's Richard and Linda? Yeah. Um, 
It was 430. I'm sorry. He says, remember 430, Richard and Linda, mm-hmm. right? And um, I don't know if this is a connection to make. It just strikes me that it would be way different, or I would have interpreted it way differently if he had been saying from the beginning, do you remember Richard and Linda, or do you remember 430? Yeah. The, the whole connotations of that. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. Maybe that's totally not. a different thing. You know, we can't necessarily make that connection. It's just mm-hmm. that's what he's practicing. And and throughout this, it's cool that now they've got the little phone app where they'll play your uh, your voice backwards. Yeah, I know. was wondering how they might have practiced this with Mike Anderson back in the day, you know, um, through recording still, but it wouldn't have been as immediate, right? They would have sat with a tape yeah. machine. You imagine getting a little tape recorder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but it's what? pretty cool because with the app that they're using, they're practicing their line backwards. They flip it and see how well it's going to sound. And Yeah, and talking to them. I kind of thought actually as I was witnessing this, I was like, I'm going to go to the app store and see if there's a Red Room yeah. app. Yeah, I, mean, I, I wonder gonna, whatever they're using. Somebody out there out needs there. to make that where we can um, flip our voice backwards and add a minimalist. I'm sure, there, I'm sure there's probably even a more professional app that you can get. But mm-hmm. Showtime really, you know. If they didn't, and I don't think they did, they should have put out. Like, there should a, be one with Carl Strykin's face a, a, on a it. A branded yeah. Showtime Twin Peaks Red Room. Yeah. Just call the little, app the Red Room, and it's just nonsensical. Um, you enter it, and it'll suddenly reverse you're in your voice, and you like hit a little button to say, add ominous wishing. Yeah. Um, or take take a <laughs> selfie where your teeth go yellow and you're in black and white, like Laura Palmer or something. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Like Snapchat stuff. Anyway. If anybody out there is listening and oh. wants to fund us to make this happen, <laughs> yeah, right. We're out there. Uh, and speaking of the backwards talk, the American girl scene we see here, too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Phoebe Augustine. Ronette Pulaski, right? Yeah. Who played Ronette Pulaski. Yeah. Now she's the discredited as American girl. Yeah. And I remember you talking about this when we were starting the podcast about being impressed by how well she did this. Yeah. She was amazing at it. And I think what we see here, I'm going to double down on that. Yeah. It was amazing. Right. Uh-huh. Like uh, her, to actually hear her talking backwards. Mm-hmm. It's so clear. The fidelity of it is great. And somehow she's got the perfect pitch and timbre of voice to do it. There's something about her voice yeah. doing it that it just nails the sentiment. It's the, the feeling that they wanted me to have by yeah. seeing that, they accomplished 100%. Well, and her lines are way longer. Yeah. You know, I mean, you see Ray Wise, you know, he's got he's to learn how to say, R-L-N-F. <laughs> yeah, it's true, yeah. Fine. <laughs> you know, I, I can I, like, I kind of remember that uh, even. Right. But I don't even know, man. Hers are like, and they ultimately yeah. end up being like, you would better hurry, my mother's coming. Yeah. You know, like and, the ten- and to keep the tension in the voice, you yeah. know, I can imagine having to take 25 takes of trying to get an actress to translate that tension and get the line right when it's spoken correctly in regular English. <laughs> exactly. You know? Right. Not to mention, let's flip it backwards, and yet you're saying it. You know, yeah. it's just such a bizarre yeah. thing. But uh, you could tell. You know, she's treating it. She's a great artist yeah. and actress. Really and great. She really nailed it. I'm really awesome. great. They got her involved in this. You yeah. Know? I mean, I still don't know if we should at all be reading into the fact that it's Ronette. Yeah. You know? Probably not, since they created. There's a few actors girl, and but... actresses in here that are like that, right? Mm-hmm. That um, are reused that were somebody else. Like, isn't there one of the nurses? Oh, uh, the doctor. The doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't have her name at the ready. Also, one of the cowboys mm-hmm. at the end. He was in the original series, okay. playing someone else, too. right? Like a very minor trucker mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, and you could tell that it was a little mm-hmm. bit like, oh well, we we'll figure something out yeah. for you. Just we'll show find, up. We'll find something for three. you to do. Yeah, exactly. Like I remember this uh, background story before they were producing the return with uh, uh with Ray Ray Wise and, and Ray Wise wanting to be in it and telling the story of David Lynch says, Well you know Ray mm-hmm. or Leland, mm-hmm. you're dead. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, and then I'll say, we'll, we'll, we'll find something. Yeah, we'll, there's we'll going to be a way to do it. Yeah, we'll, but I love um, that you know, like I was saying earlier, with Lynch having broken all the rules before, mm-hmm. with one of his projects, there's always a way to do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And but the trick is, you got to do it with the special magic, yeah. and he pulls that off every time. So that if you would have just described to me how they would have done this whole thing, you know, yeah. I would have been like, uh, what are they doing? How no, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but to see how he executes it, it's like, whoa, it's, that's way better than I could have ever imagined, you know, that they would have done something like, you know? Yeah. So cool. Yeah. So that brings us to, uh, Jason S's impressions, right? Which we've hinted at, we've described a little bit so far. Yeah. And I thought this was really cool. Um, each section has a, um, title. Yeah. Um, so you can either play all or you can go one chapter at a time. Yeah. I went one chapter at a time. I, yeah. I, that's the kind of person that I am. Yeah, I, I like, did too. Take mm-hmm. my nice little chunks. Yeah, you know. Um, so the first one is called "The Man with the Elevated Gray Hair." Yeah, right? mm, who could that be? Oh, of course, it's David Lynch. <laughs> but uh, as we were saying, you know, the style is cool. I at least appreciated the style, these descriptions. You know, and the mm-hmm. times when it's like, "Why is the blue jacket man upset with the denim man?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like, <laughs> Have you been paying attention, Jason? S? It seems like you're on set. You should, yeah. But it's yeah. it's a kind of funny humor behind it. At the same time, it's very poetic, and it's kind of mm-hmm. beautiful how he how he puts it all together. It's uh, this feeling, and there's some shots of him. I believe that's him, um, where he's like outside his car and he's standing. It each one begins, I think, with him yeah. in white sands, barefoot mm-hmm. in the sand. You know, yeah, um, I think that's so him. You, you kind of get this idea that um, he's kind of this wandering kind of video artist himself who stumbles across. Lynch and in being inspired by Lynch, he then it's a reflected mirror back upon one of Lynch's projects. And I think that's kind of a cool circuit being completed itself. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, and then a lot of what we get here is um, the stuff with Lynch directing actors that we talked about before. Yeah. Um, So just tried to note some things that seemed interesting to think about. Mm -hmm. Um, As first of all, him uh, telling um, Laura or Cheryl Lee, about what's going to happen when they're, when she runs into Cooper in the woods, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And this bit about, oh, well, first you're like, wait, who is this in the woods? But then you remember, you know, you, you got a dream about him, and all of this comes back, and you feel he's trustworthy, mm-hmm. and so on. Um, oh, that was interesting, because I think someone pointed out to me at one point, right? I mean, if you think about it, from Laura's perspective, Cooper's like a lodge being, right? Right. Yeah, that's interesting, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She never met yeah, him in, she never in met real him. life. And suddenly yeah. he's there with some sort of strange, perfect suit on. Yeah, but you trust him. And now all of a sudden this idea, this is way better to you than going up with Jacques and Leo. And yeah. I, uh, um, hmm. Still wondering, man, where was he going to take her? But anyway. Well, yeah. And then to fast forward to the street outside of her childhood home when she's Carrie Page and realizing whatever she realizes in that moment and going into a scream. Yeah. Thinking about Cooper as a lodge being in that moment that. Suddenly she's like, oh, my God, I've been duped by this devil character or something. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's one possible way to read that. Yeah, but yeah that's, that. that's yeah. very interesting. Um, and then there's all this stuff with Jerry Horn that I really appreciated, or David Patrick yeah, Kelly. Yeah, David Patrick Kelly. Um, he's great. I really love great. him, too. Yeah. Um, and he's one of those actors that, in, if I look back into a lot of my favorite movies, I, whether it's The Warriors or whatever, yeah. he's appeared in so many things that I love. Oh, yeah, yeah man. Like uh, There was one of, one of my Facebook friends, you know. Um, however many months ago, I was like, I'm finally watching Twin Peaks, the original Twin Peaks, right? It's one of those people who never watch it. Yeah. 
you know, savage, whatever. Um, and, uh, and and she described him as a poor man's uh, Sean Penn or something. I was like, blasphemy! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Blasphemy! Yeah. Stop it! No, I, uh, I love him. David yeah. Patrick Kelly is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, Commando. He's in Commando. Yeah. And he's just so cool in Commando. And, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger hangs him over the side of a cliff uh, by holding on to one of his legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's, yeah, a bunch of movies like that that he's been in that I've been, oh, that's that guy. So many years, oh, it's mm-hmm. that guy. When I got tuned into Twin Peaks to analyze a little bit more and learn a little bit more of the names, yeah. then he became Jerry, Jerry Horn. He's Jerry Horn. Yeah. You know, he's always Jerry Horn. Yeah. And he uh, knows where the good food is at, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I like here, we're seeing him in the woods primarily, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was striking to me the one scene where he's running that Lynch says that he's um, looking for the answer. Yeah. He's not so much running as he is looking for an answer. But it's like, this is also, I remember we stopped and commented on this originally, like, was he running across state? He ran that yeah. whole distance. I, I guess. Um, yeah. And so, but it was striking to me that Lynch doesn't tell him, and even if you just read it in terms of motivation, right? Yeah. He doesn't tell him you're running from something. Yeah. She might have thought he was running away from this place where his foot said it was not his foot. But Lynch says you're looking for the answer. Right. That, that was striking to me. Um and he, and tells he says him, something mm-hmm. like, well, what's the thing? What's the thing here, man? Uh, yeah, Lynch tells him what to do in that, you know, you can't fool me scene. And he goes, then there's a thing. You yeah. Know? And David Patrick Kelly says, well, what's the thing? And he says, oh, anger. Anger. Hmm. hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you know, not to skip over this, uh, I thought it was cool how he, he mentions, um, he says, oh, I remember when you told Harry Dean Stanton, you know, his char- in the Wild at Heart, where his character's about to die, and you talked about the autobiography of a yogi and stuff like that. Yeah. David Patrick Kelly remembers Yogananda. that. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then asked Lynch, you got anything like that for me? Mm, yeah. Right. <laughs> Which, <laughs> and we've seen know, that a couple times with different actors also, where they will mention, like, Kimmy Robertson saying about the color blue or whatnot, or Kyle MacLachlan says this a few times, where referring to some memories they have of him directing that you can tell stuck with them mm-hmm. as professionals. Like, yeah. oh, I'll never forget when David Lynch told me to do this and it worked, you know. Yeah. And they all pull from that kind of stuff. Like, oh, remember David when before? And I feel like, you know, David Lynch is in the world of the now while he's directing. Yeah. So he's not always present of all those other things I told you from another project in the past. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting to see the character, the actors have kind of remembered this yeah. stuff. Yeah, you know? really cool. And then we get... um. David Patrick Kelly performing the song, The Last of Algram. Oh, it's really great. He's on a mandolin mm-hmm. and he's singing. It's really this beautiful folk tune. It's an old uh, Irish tune, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, as he mentions here, it's um, in James Joyce's The Dead, mm-hmm. right? And um, the context there is interesting, right? Looking into this a bit. Yeah. Um, that story, if people. Um, aren't familiar. It's in The Dubliners. It's like the last uh, short story in The Dubliners. Pretty famous story. Mm -hmm. Um, And very briefly, right, what what sort of happens there is that, um, you know, there's a party, right, and you have this husband and wife who are sort of throwing the party, right, and the song plays or is played during it. And then, um, I'm being sketchy here, but anyway, basically, like, everyone leaves, right? And the husband, I think his name's Gabriel... Mm-hmm. Um, he is, he's basically looking to have some intimate time with his wife, mm-hmm. like you do. Maybe they haven't had an opportunity in a while. Mm-hmm. I think that's in there, right? But she's not into it, right? And he finally finds out why, and she opens up to him and tells him they've been married for years and years and years at this point, right? Yeah. 
And she tells him that the song reminds her of this young love that she had, um, like when she was very young, teenager maybe, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, he used to sing this song to her, Lasso Algram. And um, he died young, like 17. And that she feels some responsibility for that, like he was pushing, pushing himself, right? Like he was sick, but he was pushing himself to go you know, through the cold or whatever to see her or whatever. Mm. She feels so responsible. And that, so her mind is totally in this space. And, but the thing is that her husband, Gabriel, he didn't know anything about any of this prior to that, right? So you get this kind of reflection on that, you know, the, the people that others in our life know or have known or who have passed, who are really important, right? Do we talk about that? I mean, like, what's the opportunity? Um, and then how I'm just, there are all of these dead who are significant, right? And then the thing just kind of gets expansive out into, you know, Dublin, Ireland, and the universe, and ends with this 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 line about, you know, the snow falling on the universe and his swooning soul and stuff like that. Hmm. It's a cool story. Yeah, very cool. Um, just the associations that uh, the character has mm-hmm. that are unknown. They've lived this whole past life, and uh, you know the new life with the husband that doesn't isn't aware of certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very applicable. It reminds me of a lot as you're describing that. I'm thinking a lot of you know the associations of Laura that maybe Bobby has or whoever. Yeah, that somebody else doesn't understand. Yeah, um, and that that was a long time ago. It was 25 years ago. She's dead now. Yeah, there's this whole younger generation. And also new characters that come into town that don't know the legend of Laura Palmer or whatever. Yeah. And yet so many of the characters are still holding on to these associations they have of that time. And mm-hmm. how some of those associations might be ubiquitous ideas like a famous song that yeah. has itself a parallax. Where yeah. through those associations some characters are looking at that and it, and it causes a whole other chain of thought. I was thinking and, about Bobby crying when he sees her her picture yeah you know brings back some memories yeah you know versus um, robert forster being, being like hey, yeah. they know each other in the original series i don't know yeah yeah <laughs> but uh yeah that's pretty deep and it's also kind of a cool double meta moment right which we're getting we keep getting in the behind the scenes where yeah uh it's a story um that has uh kind of like a story within a story in it already and then when we're watching mm-hmm. the behind the scenes we're seeing there's all these other meta elements added on top yeah and um you know, we talked a lot uh, during the podcast while we were watching The Return about how there was some blurring of the lines between fiction and reality. Mm-hmm. And then to keep sticking with that concept throughout all these Blu-ray extras is, is pretty fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean, including one of the things that comes up here is, I don't know if it's in this one. Um, one of the things that comes up is when they're talking about this like, old cameraman named Billy. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. What was with that? Billy that would say ding ding? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm just reading way too much into this. Probably I am. Well, it was I've a fun story the... of a crew member that used to be. or mm-hmm. you know. Been on the track of who's Billy yeah. still, you know. And with that interpretation sort of put forward of that blurring of the lines with reality. And so maybe Billy's like out of the narrative, right? Um, but uh, yeah. So Lynch, um, Lynch tells a story about him with the tape measure and getting the tape measure up into people's face. And then when he pulled it back, he'd go ding ding. 
Yeah, I yeah. I was I kind of thought that meant that whoever this Billy was was maybe a DP who was checking for the depth of field on an actor or something by measuring back in the day. Yeah, you were talking about that that process. But that he must um, have done that all the time for it to be a character trait to remember and laugh over, right? Yeah, well, I think it's the ding ding. Yeah. <laughs> like, but and then uh, after that, he would hop a fence and run through somebody's kitchen. Well, the other guy in this, the other guy when they're telling the story, he just tells some story about Billy biting someone at one point. So I don't yeah. know. I mean, it did just sort of get me wondering, like. Is there any chance that the reference to Billy is um, along the lines of that kind of inside joke? Yeah. Uh, you know, that is now in the work. Yeah. You know. That's interesting. And yeah. I could totally see certain things woven in that might be just part of the mystery to us, but to somebody else that actually worked on the original series might be a very specific message. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There might be some, like I say, inside gag that they get that we don't. Yeah, or, or like... Um, you just put me in mind of what this thing coming up where Sherilyn Finn and Lynch are talking and they have a cigarette. Oh, right? yeah. They're sitting outdoors. They're having a cigarette. And he's describing to Sherilyn Finn like about, you yeah. know, you're really giving him the business. Speaking, He's like, him. I gave you the business, you yeah. brat. I know where you wrote that from. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I guess that backstory has been kind of out there, at least rumored as, you know, she was upset about what original role was going to be and, and so on in the mm. return. And... um so yeah, I guess perhaps uh, there was a rewrite. I guess at least of this mm-hmm. that that has been confirmed. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess originally Audrey was gonna you know have her hair salon or whatever, like they say in the final dossier, and mm-hmm. maybe Richard was going to attack her in that scene or something. And mm-hmm. Sherilyn Fenn was not happy about it, and we end up with this rewrite. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. I guess something like that, but yeah. probably for the best, regardless, because. Mm-hmm. The, the more time passes, the more I appreciate the Audrey stuff. Yeah, I like the ambiguity. And mm-hmm. I, I like being able to continually go back to it and still be interested in thinking about it, the mystery of it, you know. Yeah, and they mentioned a couple other things here without really giving us answers, like the papers where she says, I won't ask you because you won't tell me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he says, well, it could be a divorce or something like that. Yeah. Totally indeterminate. Yeah, exactly. He's not even... <laughs> Making it unambiguous to the people working on it. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. It's just as ambiguous as it was to us when we watched the fucking right, scene. Right, right. And Paul, is, is, again, they, they mention Paul, and we don't get really any more information yeah. other than, the, like, maybe that invoking Paul would be, you know. Um, he's a dead man, so I don't know if that's, like, you invoke Paul, and that means Charlie would be a dead man. Or hmm. Well, who was Paul in the return? Wasn't he sent to Antarctica by the FBI or something? Was that a Paul? Uh, maybe, I can't be 100%, maybe, but I think uh, Agent Denise Bryson maybe. Okay, that would give us three scene with Denise, yeah. Because one of the newscasters in Las Vegas is also named Paul. Oh, I see. It's Paul and Sheena mm, right. there. And then you've got this mention to Paul. But regardless, presumably the Paul that Audrey mentions is not either of those other Pauls. Hmm. I see. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so we also get um, him working with Grace Zabriskie a little bit in this. Yeah, right? and this was sort of poignant, wasn't it? Yeah. There's also another, like Kyle MacLachlan, another actress that he's worked with many times that mm-hmm. goes, they have definitely a long history working together. Mm-hmm. And somebody, I think in the return that started off like, uh, oh, cool, Sarah Palmer's in it. And then as the series went on, became more of a prominent, like, whoa, I, I just ended up thinking about Sarah Palmer more than yeah. I thought I would. And yeah. the receiver of all this Garmambosia, mm-hmm. um, the way that the events play out toward the end and yeah. Sarah's suffering and possibly being caught in a time loop and possibly housing Judy and all this other stuff, you know. Um, yeah. So mm. It was striking to me, Lynch seems to be like very gentle with her 
mm-hmm. as he's telling her what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, in contrast to, or I guess I was thinking about like what he's asking her to do is actually pretty fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty extreme. It's like, okay. Smash, like the, are you talking about one, smashing the well, picture? Or? Oh yeah. Okay. So the one scene you're going to be smashing a picture with a glass bottle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The other scene you're going to be uh, sitting on the couch, drinking and smoking cigarettes and watching animals rip each other apart. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> you know? Uh, and then, okay, then you're going to run out of booze. And you're going to go to the bar, but you know, just kind of like, you know, you can do this. And, and her performance, I mean, captures that, you know, darkness and, mm. In Definitely. a very specific way, yeah. I know we've talked about before, you mm-hmm. know, and as he says to her here, like, like, you're not just zoned out watching TV and drinking, like, you're you're not fully settled in, you're kind of in between, you're yeah. watching and you're thinking and you're drinking and you're smoking, you know, and she plays that off so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, uh, just showing that, I remember the first time noticing like, oh, Jesus, with a... <laughs> The bottles and all the cigarette butts and then what she's watching is just so graphic and yeah. violent. Mm-hmm. And then for her to be, and you can't help in that moment be inside her brain being like, wait, we know what this character has been through. Yeah, And exactly. now we're witnessing what she's watching and absorbing. And it just seems like it's not a place you want to be. That's just the worst. Um, and I remember feeling like sympathy and empathy both. Yeah. And then to see where the character goes later on in the return. Yeah. Um, yeah, just he uh, does seem to give confirmation here, though, of uh, my interpretation that when she goes to the bar is after she runs out of booze. Yeah, and that made sense. I remember you calling that before during the podcast. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that does make sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's uh, also this weird uh, possible loop moment, not only with the crashing of the glass, but just in that scene in general in her apartment, right, where it was called like, oh, she's kind of stuck in a time loop. Oh, with the bo- when the boxing's going on. Yeah, yeah, the boxing. Yeah. And um, one thing that I caught that we didn't really talk about yet is um, the extras menu on the Blu-ray. Yeah. It actually is an exterior shot of some cars parked outside of the double R. Yeah. So I was watching that pretty close, but it's a really well-stitched together loop itself. Yeah, because there's a bird. Yeah. And there's the yeah. bird in the background that kind of uh-huh. shows you that, and it flies the same way or whatever. But uh-huh. I kind of thought that that was... Um, Really amazing, even down to the DVD menu. Oh, yeah, yeah. I appreciated that menu. Yeah, that was and, really and there great. there was a, like a low drone kind of. Yeah, and the drone. Thing. I let that loop yeah. probably 100 times before I finally selected one to watch. Yeah, well, time. I was just like, I didn't quite do that. But as I, as I was saying, I, I watched them one at a time. So I'd watch the one. It would end up go back to the menu. Mm-hmm. I'd leave it sitting on the menu. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, I remember putting it in uh, and being like, well, I'm not ready to sit down and watch all this yet. But yeah. I'm going to put the DVD menu on. I would just let know. the menu play. Yeah. You know? Clean up the house for a little while and. Kind of absorb uh, this loop a little bit. Although we were talking on the other hand uh, about the Rancho Rosso logos. Yeah, uh, I watched that. Right, um, all of the logos yeah, in succession. I did but I didn't. I, I didn't, I didn't realize didn't... while watching the series that they were all individual. There's 18 of them, one for each episode. Yeah, right? I thought there was more repetition than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did too. But when you watch them all in order, you're like, oh, they were all totally different. Yeah, in I... there. I mean, it's repetition through. Yeah, you know, uh, variation. Yeah. But I um I didn't really enjoy watching that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if there are people who do. Well, I think it's designed um. to be the electrical buzz and yeah. the kind of stark, harsh. It's designed to kind of give you a little jab shot. Yeah. And then to watch like 12 of them in a row is it's like almost... veer, veering <laughs> towards seizure inducing. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's cool that they put it on there. But yeah. And yeah. I'm just. I'm trying to imagine someone out there who's like, this is awesome. And just yeah. like sitting there like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but not everybody, honestly, not everybody should sit there and watch all 12 of them in a row. No. Yeah. No, no, no. That'll give you a headache. 
possibly. No, but it was cool. But it was neat to see it, and itself as. But again, something I appreciate is the devil being in the details, mm-hmm. even down to that little logo, taking the time to do variation and repetition to make sure that there's something original in each one of them, even though it's like six seconds. Yeah. Even though it's your business like stamp. Yeah. You know, to take the time to put the creative element. Oh no, that it would be better if. Yeah, right. You know, and it's like, well, that's just the logo for most other things. It's like we'll spend all this time and energy and money on the sound and the visual and all that. But yeah, once the credits roll, it's just to get it done. Right. I mean, you, you know? compare it with um, something like we were talking about Damon Lindelof earlier. Right. And Lost it would just be like bad robot. Yeah. Over and over again. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, nevertheless, it's cool that in the extras, they were basically like the, the fans. We us fans. We want yeah. everything. Yeah. Right, so give them everything. Whatever they're asking for, put it on the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. There's Indeed. three different behind-the-scenes versions of behind-the-scenes, you know. Mm-hmm. In yeah. a lot of projects, you get one if you're lucky. Very cool. Um, so in this first um, chapter, there's also the um, the hotel scene, motel scene. Mm-hmm. We were talking about that a little mm-hmm. bit before. Um, anything else you want to say about that one? Uh, just interesting to see how Lynch works again. Like, uh, mm-hmm. it's such an intimate setting. Um, when you're watching it, you again, this is a part of movie magic, right? You never realize, like, oh, crap, there there really is, like, 20 people in that room when yeah. they're doing that. And then to see the behind the scenes, like, oh, it's a full room. But also you can see the moments where it's restricted, where it's like, okay, everybody clear out. We're going to do our yeah. run through. And then if you have to be here, you're here. There's a few moments you see Lynch getting upset with somebody just to show, like, look, if you're not supposed to be here, you're not here yeah. because this is a creative process that you mm-hmm. have an influence on. You know, yeah. um, it's not just because I want to have control over this thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's quite admirable to see those moments. Yeah. And oh, it was striking to me, you know, with this uh, sex scene that we talked about at length, mm-hmm. you know, before when yeah. we covered the finale. And I had some things to say about Yeah, It was striking to me that Lynch says, yeah, it's a very strange scene. Yeah. And like all three of them are agreed. Like, this is a strange fucking scene. Right. This yeah. is like, it is not like, oh, yay, mm-hmm. romantic um, consummation. But it's yeah. like you mentioned earlier with Strange the magic scene. coming together in the editing. You throw the platters, my prayer, on top of that, too. Yeah. Yeah. And you end up with something that's just um, the sentiment behind it, the emotion it evokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very strong scene. Yeah, and he does say she's crying at the end, mm-hmm. which is how I read it originally, yeah. although it's not. It's a little ambiguous. She's she's in, moving in the direction of crying, at the very least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, just really powerful. And also, I always, uh, just spatially, sometimes I'm really impressed with, like, Oh, the camera's in that corner of the room, but you, when you when it's on screen, you don't you feel like you're seeing the entire room. Yeah, you know, and that was particularly one of those that when I saw the behind the scenes, I was like, oh yeah, you're only seeing part of that room, oh, yeah. but it feels like you're in the wall and your your sense of the space is big. Yeah, because you know that comes down to the DP well, also. I love, yeah, I love know. some of that stuff too, where they're talking about you know how to block it and how to shoot it, and you know where where to do it from, and and it's cool when you get mm. some of that. It's yeah. also cool to me though sometimes like. Someone just runs up to him and you know says something about a scene. He's just like, boom, boom. Yeah, that's going to be a wide shot and two close-ups or something. <laughs> like, yeah. like, this is how we're doing it. Right. In my mind, I got it. It's right there. That's what we need. Yeah, there's one part in there somewhere where he's like, I'm here. What are your questions for me? And you know, there's like this sense of like, I think somebody asked something along the lines of like, uh, uh, okay, David, what are we doing? And he's like, wait, no, I'm here. You've got me. You <laughs> ask the questions. What do you need from me? You know? Mm-hmm. And just that sense of, uh, like, togetherness that yeah. I thought was really good. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, 
So we go to the next section, which is titled Tell It Martin, right? Yeah, which is a reference to, let's just go ahead and start here, I guess. Yeah. It's a reference to Martin Luther King Jr. And mm-hmm. um, the this bit where um, Lynch is talking about the, the poetry of the speech. Yeah. And I'm almost positive he's talking about I Have a Dream, although mm-hmm. they don't say for sure. Um, I went back and watched it mm-hmm. or listened to it. Well, and watched it. Yeah, there was some. Um, but the Lynch is in particular talking about this woman in the background who's just saying like, you know, you know, tell it, Martin. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't hear her say that. So, well, but she is sort of egging him on. Mm-hmm. If you listen to that speech, it's there, and Lynch is interested in um, that. You know, the way that someone can be sort of spurring someone. You know, he says, "Oh, you know, you listen to the speech. You know, King sort of starts off a bit slow, and so on, and then you hear this woman in the background, and like, hey, it gets going. You know, mm-hmm. I have no idea what this has to do with Santinos, which is what they're supposed to be talking about." Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a bit of editing there, and I'm not sure if we're jumping so much, but I was pretty impressed with the idea of, you know, the things that, that David Lynch pulls from. Mm-hmm. Like, they're the big moments in history. They're the type of era that he grew up in. Yeah. Um, he pu- he pulls from a very big, important palette. Yeah. You know what I mean? When he's talking about, you know, these kind of nuances of a speech or delivering some lines, and and he's remembered a very specific moment in a Martin Luther King Jr. speech, you know what I mean? It's like... There's um, the things that he pulls from, I think, are, are big, impressive, historic things. I think about mm-hmm. that with references to the A-bomb yeah. or to, you know, a lot of the things that we see that come out uh, in The Return specifically. Yeah. Where he's kind of rebuilding this uh, past that that leads us into a modern time. And a lot of that, I think, is kind of questioning, like, oh, where, how did we get here from there? Yeah. You and know? honestly, I was kind of hoping he was talking about a different speech. But I'm pretty sure it was I Have a Dream. There's, I've um, seen a number of them, and there's another one that was the mountaintop speech. I was going to say, that's like the day before. That's I my think. favorite one. That's an amazing. It's like, I think it's also, yes. isn't it the day, the day before he was killed? Yes. And he and really, you watch that speech, and Martin, yeah. he knows he's going to, I feel like I may not he knows get there he's going to die. Yeah. That is so powerful. But he's saying, yeah. you know, this thing that we're talking about, the civil rights movement, and in fact, mm. freedom and liberation for all peoples on earth. Yeah. Is bigger than my life, yeah. and to to I remember that it gives me the chills just thinking about. Yeah, it. me too. And I there there are people tables. around him in that one too that are like testifying, yeah, like backing him up, and mm-hmm. uh, you know that um, yeah, so is very been, powerful. Could have been that one. They don't tell us what speech it is, mm-hmm. but yeah, if, particularly if you listen to the whole thing. Um, often with a, um, I've been to the mountaintop, you only get a, a shorter clip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I wonder. Maybe I should listen to this again. Maybe it is what Lynch is talking about because mm-hmm. there's a really kind of slow build to that speech if you listen to the full version yeah, true i mean he's talking about the story of the good samaritan and yeah. stuff like this yeah. and and uh and uh then it finally just sort of culminates to that that kind of climax yeah that's mm-hmm. a great speech everyone go listen to that yeah yeah here here and just uh you know i remember being um just taken aback literally like silenced and let's just sit down and think about the gravity of this man who mm. was at the forefront of this movement that mm. lives were, and still today, if you're looking at the news and you yep. know what's going on, are on the line. And, you know, looking down the barrel of his own death, like knowing, I felt that he knew he was going to be taken out during that speech. It really feels like it. And to still stand up there with your eyes wide open and command the, the mm. truth of it mm. is, um, you know, courage isn't even a good enough word. Yeah. You know, it's there's something well. about that that, 
is the type of leadership that you know humans yeah. if they're going to be liberated from these kind of constructs need yeah and as you say i mean historically speaking it wasn't that long ago i mean right if someone who is in their 70s right now would have been uh, a teenager or a young adult yeah you know um mm. all right we'll just leave it there without naming names yeah mm-hmm. yeah so but uh you know Anyway, so the era thing of Lynch looking back and being like, when I was young, this is the kind of stuff I was witnessing from the music mm-hmm. to that kind of stuff up through today. Um, and to be referencing that, I, I do get the idea thoroughly through the return of the question of like, how did we get here yeah. from where I was when we were a kid? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, also questioning your own perception of it. Was mm-hmm. it really the quaint America that is, you know, painted in the Norman Rockwell paintings or whatever. Yeah. You know, and then juxtaposing that moment with a young, which I believe we know now, a young Sarah Palmer. Yeah, right. On a cute little date where she gets a first kiss mm-hmm. with the atomic bomb test. You know, just, <laughs> yeah. um, so there's definitely this um, heavy polarity that he's yeah. playing with it. There was a time before that blew up, but now we're the post-atomic age. And things are different. It's a different type of thing going on now, a different type of reality. And in fact, reality itself might have fractured. Mm-hmm. And there's multiple ones. Which one are you in? Yeah. And to directly ask somebody that question is like, whoa, wait, I wasn't ready to question <laughs> things that much. Can I go back to my nice little... Yeah, yeah. although I'm wondering now, um, I'm, I'm almost thinking more that it might be the uh, what Cooper does that fractures time more mm-hmm. than more than the A-bomb. Yeah. I don't know, maybe both. Mm-hmm. It could be both. That's fine. Yeah, I kind of well, I kind of get the feeling that Cooper wouldn't have done any of this if it wasn't for the energies released by the bomb, right? So okay. it's almost you know how like the mushroom cloud goes up and then it coils into these, mm-hmm. you know, it's it spins off into like ripples when you throw a pebble in the water or whatever. There's this kind of like spinning that happens, and it's a uh, I forget the term for it. There's some sort of term for it even in mathematics. Uh, there's this shape that's like a mushroom cloud that reappears in nature. And you get this pattern that kind of repeats on itself. Oh, the the golden ratio thing. Well, yeah, that would represent it, or like a, a spiral. Yeah, the Fibonacci, I think, is okay. is part of it. Yep, okay. exactly. Something like that. But like co- choroidal patterns or whatever they're called, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. forget. But the idea that the mushroom cloud is one of those, and that that original tiniest uh, of particles split creates these waves that filter and circle upon themselves, and these loops that stretch out from that center point, um, like ripples in with a uh, you yeah. know a pebble in the, in the water. Um, yeah. And I think that's interesting that uh, maybe the life of Laura Palmer and Cooper are one of those cyclical spinoffs from that okay. original burst of energy or something. Yeah, okay. But what we're not talking about physics and sand and particles. We're talking about, you know, human psyche mm. and the ripple effects of such a, mm. a destructive moment, you know. Yeah, the, the, the energy that is our consciousness. Just electricity. Yeah, that's perhaps. the water within which a yeah. pebble is cast, you yeah. know, or something like that. And so you get this really modern parable uh, of biblical proportions. Yeah. But that really plays out in a factual way. Like, no, there's the, we split the atom. Yep. And that triggered this, um, you know, this um, disturbance in the psychic material. Yeah. And since then, we've been spinning out of control. And then, of course, if, if we're using we to refer to humanity, we proceeded to do it a, a few thousand more times. Yes, right, just, exactly. You know, yeah. Just for fun. Yeah. You know? Right. Like, that little trip you took in episode eight, that was just the very yeah, first one. That was just the one. Yeah, right. Yeah. And we've and the, the explosions under the Earth's uh, uh, crust, or not under the, under the crust, but underground, uh, under mm-hmm. the ocean, and yeah. in the atmosphere. Well, thank God we didn't nuke the moon. 
We were close. Hmm. You know this? Yeah. At one point, both the U.S. and the Soviet Union had plans to um, nuke the moon. Totally independent plans. Hmm. And we dodged a bullet. Somehow, it just didn't happen. And but it was one of those things. Like we just wanted to see what would happen. Wouldn't it be cool yeah. if we threw it out of orbit and then the ocean <laughs> like, stopped their tides? That would be awesome. We'll fuck find the out. Fucks are at it again. Yeah. Man. What the hell? Well, and then there's the the story of Einstein. You know, collecting signatures and writing a letter saying, you know, there's a chance. You know, we shouldn't do this test because. Mm. There's a chance that it'll start a, cre- a chain reaction that will then split every atom in the universe. And we probably yeah. shouldn't yeah. even take that risk. Yeah. But, uh, you know, as you know, somebody would um, very seriously say, yes, but progress must go forward. Yeah. But, you know, then but you're gambling at the same time. And the, the ante mm-hmm. you put up is all of humans future. Yeah. So it's a pretty. Yeah. And I, th- I think these are the things that symbolically the return is addressing all of this. And mm-hmm. if you really want to dig for that stuff, you can find it throughout the show. Yeah, and it's absolutely. pretty powerful, I think, yeah. because of it. Cool. So there are a few other things in here. We, you know, just to mention, um, mm-hmm. you know, we get the um, the scene in the neighborhood where we start out with Dougie and Jade and the muscle cars and the car explosion, mm-hmm. uh, which is fun. And the direction of the little boy is cool. Yeah, I like I like seeing the effects of all of this. It's pretty cool mm-hmm. to see the effects house that drags in an empty car. There's one moment yeah. where they're like. Aren't they like lifting it or they push it so effortlessly? And you're like, oh, yeah, there's no engine in that yeah, car. Yeah, it's just a car frame. Yeah, it's a frame that's designed to shoot fire. Yeah, yeah. it's cool to think about how they shoot stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also in here is um, Ike the Spike. Ike. Right? Yep. And his um, his bent ice pick. Oh. Oh, he's so sad at that. Yeah. <laughs> but I love the direction. This mm-hmm. is another instance where Lynch's attention to detail stood out to me. Yeah. Like, like, oh, you're really stabbing that fucker in there. <laughs> yeah, isn't uh, was it was his name Peter Deming, the DP on the project? Mm. Maybe I'm getting his first name wrong. No, that's but... that's a DP. Yeah. Yeah. So th- I think it's him that has this moment where he's you can see the reaction yeah. where Lynch is saying that, and he's getting a little crazy. He's like, you just <laughs> fucking stab <laughs> her right in the fucking chest, and it's really funny to me to see like uh, people in the room are like, whoa, uh, can you just calm down a little bit? I like it. He calls it a kindergarten killing. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, it's pretty good. And it's uh it comes and I remember the, the weird hip hop music that goes with her too. Uh, those, yeah. And it's funny to think of what the end product is versus them in the room like getting ready for it. Yeah. And, we also get a somewhat clearer shot of the weird cardboard thing on the wall, whatever the fuck that right? is. Mm-hmm. What yeah. is the fuck that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Um Yeah. So but just again, seeing um the other perspective. Mm. This is the true parallax. Like we saw it from this angle before. Now you're seeing in the behind the scenes a different angle that shows from which you were looking before. You know, mm. seeing the DP and the cameraman and the big camera and then Lynch sitting looking at his monitors, you know. You know, yeah. adding that stuff back into it, it does, in some sense, with most projects, it kind of kills, it's like breaking the fourth wall. It kills the um, illusion of it all. Yeah. But with this, the, somehow they've crafted it so that it just adds more illusion. Well, yeah, and actually, can I give some credit to how Jason S. was uh, shooting this? Yeah. Because, and, and, and now it's edited. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. because it really does flow. It's, it, it's like a documentary mm-hmm. as opposed to your standard behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah. Which is just like, hey, it was behind-the-scenes stuff. You mm-hmm. know, this feels like it, it is a thing. It's crafted yeah. and put together. And yeah, it's cool. That, that also reminds me again of like Herzog's work or Errol Morris. I love Errol Morris as well. Yeah, this idea that we can, you know, I'm making a documentary, so mm-hmm. one of one of my goals here is to define a truth, and yet I realize there's not really such a thing as a truth, like as of a universal truth about a thing. 
So what I that what I'm recognizing is that I'm crafting yeah. a specific perspective of truth. And so now that I realize that, let's get to work crafting and let's yeah. make it awesome, openly admitting, hey, we're crafting a truth here. Yeah. And, and then this, it becomes true art and this great poetry. It's totally along those lines. And yeah. it really does. It, it, it is a documentary about the making of Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. It's not behind the scenes footage exactly. of Twin Peaks. Yeah. If there's a difference, we can draw. Yeah. Yep, totally. Um, so what else we get in here? We've, um, we saw Ike, the spike, and we saw some behind the scenes with that. Uh, you've got the stuff talking about the detectives, Fusco. Right. I love this. Mm-hmm. Because apparently, okay, so apparently originally there were only going to be two detectives. Two Fuscos, but... No, no, there were, the one of them wasn't even going to be a Fusco. Oh, right. He was going to be named something else. Okay. And, uh, then, uh, you have this bit where Lynch says, you know, can we, can we, uh... We have a third detective. I want to hire that, you know, the big uh, laughing guy or however he describes him. Smiley Fusco. One right, of the, yeah. the Smiley Fusco. And then it, you can just kind of see it evolving to the idea that no, all three of them are going to be brothers. Yeah. Right? And this is where he's open for change. And this is where he's experimenting like, oh, actually, mm -hmm. something occurs to me. Yeah. And it's, it's very cool to see that. And then this discussion about um, the names, which I guess has to do with, um, you know, having... The rights to the names or uh, hmm. whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But you know, then they they kind of they're kind of joking about then. Well, just give them these initials, you know, Smiley and oh, the yeah. DTs, yeah, right. Which which I took to be a reference to Delirium Tremens, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, the DTs. But also as like the detectives, I guess. Oh yeah, go oh, good. Yeah, I didn't even realize. Yeah, it's a good pun. But it's yeah. also funny to me that we mentioned this during the podcast too that there's so many groups of brothers. Yeah, right? you get mm -hmm. the Mitchum brothers. Um, isn't one of the detectives in South Dakota? Aren't aren't there some brothers there? Mm, I don't think so. There's think but there's the, a the couple Fuscos. references. Of course, you have Harry Truman and Frank Truman are brothers, mm -hmm. uh, and then you get the Horn brothers. You know, yeah. So there's several times this comes up, and I I can picture this being like a running theme. Yeah. That is realized, like, oh hey, wait, well, let's use our brothers theme here. Yeah, and it's also great because it seems like it's here that you get to see them come up with a um, hey Fusco joke. Yeah. And they're like, oh, then at one point a guy will come in from the other room and go, hey, Fusco. And they'll all turn and go, yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Write it down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good. Good stuff. No, I'm, I'm definitely glad that Smiley made it. I love him. Mm -hmm. And speaking of brothers, uh, in this segment, we also get um, the Mitchum brothers where it's pointed out to us that they're shooting out of sequence. Yeah. Apparently the scene in Santino's uh, is the first thing they filmed. Um, again, the, with the juxtaposition, I have no idea um, why they were talking about Santinos and then went to Martin Luther King Jr. Mm, yeah. But, you know, okay, fine. Um, but interesting also that this is after they've been through this whole complex relationship with Dougie. Yeah, so you get to see Lynch kind of explaining all of that. Like, oh, at this point, this guy is pure gold yeah, to you. You guys love You're this guy. You're like family. Yeah. You do fucking anything for yeah. this guy. He just got you $30 million, <laughs> right? Um, and then a little back and forth about the Mitchum brothers and being orphans and he's like no no you have the same parents and you know yeah the brothers um, against the world attitude yeah yeah, yeah they're indeed. kind of on both sides of the law and it's them against everybody else but also an interesting that they're kind of accepting dougie so much mm -hmm. there's a thing about threes right because it's the two of them almost like something was lacking or whatnot but mm -hmm. either way they ended up with a third dude in their crew yeah opposite having three pink ladies yeah indeed you know mm -hmm. so i don't know maybe something to the the triplets there yeah, and I guess this is where Jim Belushi tried to uh, ad-lib a line and got called to the principal's office. <laughs> yeah. I love how Lynch can keep it friendly like that, yeah. too. That's funny. Because yeah. there are egos out there that would explode and have mm -hmm. to show how powerful they are and all of this, but 
No, I think a good collaborator can, you know, keep things, not people, but keep things in check mm -hmm. in a friendly way mm -hmm. with a few choice words. And how cool it was to kind of see that happen. And then we go to the next segment called Two Blue Balls. Yeah. Lynch's Blue Balls. Yeah. And of course, mm. you know, I read through all the extras before I watched all this. <laughs> and there were a few of them that started like, what the hell could that be? Yeah. Um, but he's, this is also a cool special effects moment. And so we get the moment um, in New York. Yeah. The glass box. In the glass box um, where, uh, was it Sam and Tracy? Yeah. And Lynch is like, I'm going to have these blue balls. I'm going to be you know, poking you in the face with my blue balls. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, you can see it first where it's like, no, let's not laugh at this. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's a little resistance to falling for the humor, but it's yeah. unavoidable, really, yeah. when you're on set like that. And it's cool to see how, you know, them filming all of that scene and the, the different options for the blood splatter and, mm -hmm. you know, various aspects of that. Um, and, and now that you mentioned Jason S. maybe intentionally editing certain things together based on theme, like we got anger before, mm. this one also has the carving of the foam, right? So it is kind of a little bit of naughty humor as well. Oh, the, yeah, the dildo joke is in here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is a prurient one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we also, uh, after all that, we get the, uh, the radio station walkthrough, which is really impressive. Um, oh, yeah. How cool is it? Lynch mentions a number of times in this how impressed he is with this radio set that was built by the art directors. Yeah, right? he says he was going to just set up some cheap thing and like, like sectionals that you move around or yeah, whatever. Yeah, and he was going to trick it and let the camera do the work, but the yeah, art like, department put together something. He kept saying, you know, we could start broadcasting tomorrow. Yeah, or next week. Yeah, we spent half a million dollars on this. Yeah, I love that. There's one point in there where somebody's uh, somebody's voice. I don't. Know, I think it's budget. Sabrina Sutherland. I'm is not it? positive, though. I'm not oh, yeah. positive. So executive producer, who knows where yeah. the money is going, just saying, like, brings no. up. No, just so everybody knows, we did not spend half a million dollars on this. Lynch is just saying that yeah. to be expressive. Uh, yeah. uh, I thought that was kind of funny because, um, but at the same time, he was very impressed by it. And, you know, yeah, you can, with budgets like that and with what needs to be done and with unions and stuff, it's not that hard to spend half a million bucks on a set. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I can see where it maybe is in that range. Maybe it's half that. But still, they, they built really a stunning set for that. Interior and exterior. It shows mm -hmm. the uh, set department doing the painting right mm -hmm. before they start shooting. And I remember sitting here watching the behind the scenes thinking, uh, you know, I can smell the paint on set. You can mm -hmm. picture standing there and, oh, I smell fresh paint and he's about to yell action. And, yeah, you know, and just pulling all this together, um, just the illusion of it and the game, the Hollywood illusion and yeah. the movie making magic, as cheesy a term as it is, is like. Well, but it was, yeah, it was really also cool here. here. And I think in the next one, we get more radio station. Um, but it was cool to see some of the stuff in color. Right. Um, yeah, that, that happens a few times with mm -hmm. the, the radio station um, or uh, the theater stuff, just being in that room. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that was cool. There's also in this uh, Blue Balls one, there's some stuff at the farm with Renzo and the arm wrestling scene. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought this was cool. The doll is pretty impressive. Oh, uh, yeah. This, the special effects dummy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He gets his face punched right through. He gets through. his face punched yeah. through. And, and also that Lynch says here that Cooper breaks his arm. Yes. I mean, which we talked about before. Yeah. Thinking about the fly. Yeah. Uh, I totally, when I saw it, I was expecting that moment. It's like, it's going to come. Mm-hmm. But um, what we see, it's not at all clear that he broke his arm. Yeah. But Lynch says it here. So, yeah, yeah we, we, he had the reference in mind. I but think, also, probably. just a, a special effects guy, I really got the sense of like, oh, how cool, you know, uh, effects are awesome. And mm -hmm. I'm a big admirer of um, all the, um, the prosthetics and the practical effects in, in movie history. And the more CGI stuff I see, which I love a great deal of, mm -hmm. um, 
but I, I do love when you get a good decent puppet when it's a practical Absolutely, effect when you yeah. achieve that and I feel like there's this one scene uh, I you know don't forgive me I don't know the guy's name but the guy that made that dummy really you could tell it was a, a passion oh yeah not only did he love what he's doing but he you could tell he was like no I'm gonna go the extra for this because this is an awesome project he talks about how how it's weighted and stuff like right, that. Right, yeah. yeah, and how he did cool. more than what was going to be on camera just in case Lynch wanted the option. I think he said something like that. Cool, yeah. And I just thought, you know, how cool of a set would it have been to be on, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. It seems like you get the feeling everyone really, they want they want to, they want to contribute to this work, mm -hmm. you know? Even the smallest sort of contribution is given this kind of care. Yeah. And, I mean, Lynch shows the appreciation in return. I mean, mm -hmm. one of the other special features on here, I think it's on Disc 7, is a, a list of everyone who worked on the project. Oh, yeah, that was cool, seeing the entire Any cast capacity. and crew. Yep. You know, it's a and massive And what a huge list. list. He's like, I want to show people the whole village or city, even, yeah. of people that brought this project together. I think that was mm -hmm. excellent. Because, you know, on Showtime, as we're seeing it by appointment, you're not allowed to... You can't get everybody into the credits or it would be an extra 10 minutes or something. Well, yeah, absolutely. Not all the crew, mm -hmm. you know, but to give that now that, you know, that, that that's there, you yeah. know, anyone who worked on this can can find their name there and show yeah. their friends. It's pretty great. You didn't believe me. I was working on Twin Peaks. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. And in addition, you do get the moment where Kyle McLaughlin kind of points the light back on Lynch and says, okay, now everybody, we got to have this moment where I say what a privilege mm. and we all know this, but let me say it out loud. Yeah, and he takes his time to say it, and everybody's like, "Yeah, hell yeah, yeah. yeah. really great, really cool. great." Um, so from there, there's one of uh, Jason S's uh, pieces uh, is called "The Number of Completion," mm -hmm. and um, in this one we go into a little bit about that, about Lynch talking about the number ten and completion, um, but we get the giant in this one, right? Again. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was striking, you know. So you have these scenes where he's practicing backwards lines, and here he's practicing how to say sycamore backwards. Mm -hmm. Which again, it's not something he said in the footage we saw. Roll my kiss. That one, I don't even know where that would fit in. Yeah, no idea. Because we didn't. Yeah, throughout the return, I mean, of course, we know the sycamore trees, but we didn't mm -hmm. really get that in the return. But uh, yeah, it's interesting because I'm sure there's a lot that was cut out mm -hmm. that in, like you were saying earlier, it's complete. If you want to ask me questions about it, I've answered them in the project. Yeah. Um, there's no deleted scenes in all of this. So I think right. oftentimes something that people like to see is, oh, where are the deleted scenes? I want to see what else could have made it in the movie. Yeah. But in this, you know, we had 18 hours of non-deleted scenes. Well, that's why I'm pointing out some of the stuff. It's as close as we get. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like, he was going to say that line at one point, mm -hmm. and he didn't say that line. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a deleted scene. Mm -hmm. you know, very, very small. And or, or interestingly, how in the previous box set that had the original series and uh, Fire Walk With Me mm -hmm. and the missing pieces, um, those are deleted scenes, but they're not. They're just missing pieces. It's interesting to frame it that mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Because they're no, we didn't. They're not scenes that we deleted. That we yeah. didn't. It's not on the cutting room floor. It's stuff we chose not to show you at the time. <laughs> they were the, you know, yeah. they were the missing. Pieces. Oh, and you know that there's more. Yeah. Right? Like, right. it's not like they gave us everything they cut out of Firewalk. Yeah. Me. So it'd be interesting if one day we do get new missing pieces that would somehow show some new stuff. It'd be interesting. But... I highly doubt it. Yeah. Uh, you also see talking about um, the fireman talking backwards. Uh, mm -hmm. You get a bit here where they subtitle it with mm -hmm. just what he's saying backwards, and you never hear what he is saying. And uh, but you I flipped had to it, right? I had to figure it out on my own. Yeah. He's saying, I am fireman. Okay, cool. If anyone cool. was curious about that when he's like, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure I didn't do that well. Yammerife. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Right, and then we get um, Dido's kiss, where she's kissing the Laura Orb and yeah, passing along and some good shows energy. There's just so much love in this kiss, yeah. you know. Yeah, which uh, that was, I don't know, that was interesting, mm-hmm. you know, um, to think about. Still, still thinking about that scene. Yeah, you know, the Laura Orb and how we read that and how it fits in. And there's a little back and forth uh, between Lynch and someone else. I don't know, script supervisor or somebody who's talking about if this is an orb or a sphere. <laughs> but we also get um, the Bob Orb and the discussion that it might have had arms at some point, right? Oh, yeah. Originally, I guess, in the sheriff station, he was going to have arms that were going to come out to punch Freddy. Yeah. It is striking that you were just mentioning it. The, the term orb, they, they, this is the term they use. Yeah. Which we, we, we landed on the right term, mm-hmm. I guess. A lot mm-hmm. of people in the world landed on the right term. Mm-hmm. It was never in the show. The word orb was not right. said on the show. Right. But everyone's like, those are clearly orbs. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not a sphere. Or <laughs> no, a it's kind of great, yeah. right? That we, it just seems like everyone who watched the show was like, well, clearly you call that an orb. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Um, but yeah, also talking about this uh, with the Bob Orb and so on, uh, it does seem clear that originally in the part eight uh, scene, he's talking about it being a black orb. Mm-hmm. And. It seems like it was only at some point that they made this decision to put Bob's face in the orb. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But the arms didn't make it through, probably for the best. Yeah, it uh, it's hard to, I don't know, it's hard for me to say, because, I mean, again, like, if you would have described this whole scene to me before I saw it go down, it would have been like, wait, what, are you sure you're yeah. talking about the right thing? Well, but is it is it... <laughs> Is the decision not to do the thing with the arms that it would be too complicated, or is it just the decision that it would be too silly, or is yeah, it both? I'm not sure. It could yeah. be both because I think it might have been a bridge too far. Yeah, it, yeah. it might have been. And if you have Bob's face in there, does that mean that the arms are supposed to be his arms? And how would you even do that? And yeah, I think better um, to just do what they did, which is to have the orb itself just kind of like running mm-hmm. into people. But um, another thing that's revealed is the hole in the floor when the orb goes down and crashes through the floor, right? Yeah, when they're putting the cream corn. It has uh, Garmonbosia stained all over it, I yeah. guess, right? Well, cream man. corn, oil. And I love how we see Lynch kind of like painting this stuff himself. So this is where the film is itself a, one of his paintings. Mm-hmm. And he loves getting his hands dirty, and he loves working with these kind of artistic materials. Oh, yeah, which was it was in the, it was in the previous one, too, where he's carving the foam. The foam yeah. Right. We mentioned the dildo joke. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing is he's carving the Philip Jeffries bell thing, mm-hmm. right? And well, do we know that for sure? I mean, is he carving the bell yeah. or is he carving part of it? No, I don't. Well, he's carving at least part of it. Yeah. Because they say, uh, you know, um, oh, we need to carve this foam thing, and they say, oh, for the tall one or the small one. And he says, oh, the small one. Hmm. And then he also says in that bit something about Jeffries appearing in the smoke. Oh, I see. So it seems like at one point they might have been thinking about putting Bowie's face in the smoke. Oh, similar to how they used Bob's face in yeah. the smoke, yeah. And then, so it's like a contrary move or mm-hmm. decision, right? Like if, if then they decided to put Bob's face in the orb, and originally they weren't thinking about it. Well, then on the other hand, they decided, no, let's not put his Jeffrey's face in the smoke. I see. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Um, and just that scene in general, just seeing Lynch painting the set is kind of neat. And, you know... Bring me some raw eggs and some corn and yeah. some oil. You know. Yeah, he knows what, what he wants. Is, what is this guy? What does he want? No, he wants it's... the eggs. I love the yeah. Yeah. And when the guy shows up, he also has this um, like mashed potatoes. Yeah. Let me notice which which one. I don't know. I don't know maybe just as a thickening agent yeah. or something yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. But yeah. he's also isn't there a thing about the yolks? Like, do you want some yolks in here? 
Oh, and yeah. I think he doesn't. Or, yeah, I don't know. But I don't know. It's, exactly. it's funny the materials he's using. But he's just like, like, he knows how to create. We skipped over this earlier when he's asking them to buy the like fix all or whatever from the store. Oh, then, yeah. Not the plaster of Paris bullshit. Well, he doesn't say that until they buy the plaster of Paris. Yeah. And they plaster of Paris bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. Um, so he knows what he, he wants. He knows what he wants. Yeah. He's got decades of using his materials and he knows what he wants. And then there, speaking of that, there's this other thing in here. Uh, maybe it's not in this part, but whatever, where he asked for like olive oil and gasoline, mm-hmm. you know, and he's making what, what we both kind of thought might be the uh, head of the evolution of the arm. Right. It's great to see him getting his hands dirty like that, yeah. you know, or just he's making the stuff. He's that involved, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, or there's moments, um, I don't know if we've mentioned this or we haven't seen it yet in that one, we're working with Naido, right? Where he's painting the blood and gunk and scar effects onto oh, the yeah, actress's right. face mm-hmm. directly. So mm-hmm. as you mentioned earlier, Kimmy Robinson saying that, you know, he's using them as paint from a palette. Yeah. There are moments where he's literally doing that, where he's painting on his actors, you know? Yeah. Well, and then, I mean, talking about Naido, I mean, the actress there, Nay, was just blind, right? She had that, you know, oh, yeah. you see that. For, I'm sure... In most the, of the day, just a whole day scenes. without seeing anything. She yeah. had that stuff over her eyes and that they did it that way. Yeah. She really had that like makeup. I'm sure that takes some eyes. endurance. Yeah. I mean, you just think about acting under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. Really impressed with her performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So we get a little bit of um, what the um, playfulness between with the accents, I remember, right? Oh, yeah, with Kyle and, and Jake. Yeah. He's like, now you be Spanish and you be Russian. Yeah, Coop and Freddy from <laughs> different dimensions. Yeah. 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 Uh, which I think is pretty funny. They were pulling that off pretty well. Um, <laughs> this is me destiny. Yeah, it's me destiny. <laughs> and, you know, just see, picturing yourself being on the set with those fun moments is, is you know. Yeah, it was, it was nice. It's great that seeing that. Because, yeah. you know, as you're watching it, you're thinking certain things like that at certain moments. That it would be hilarious to be, you know, in that room during a certain take. Um, and then... Um, I mean, I guess might be sort of significant, again, getting to the question of how much you read into this uh, kind of direction, is um, Cooper and Diane in the sheriff's station. Mm -hmm. And uh, what he tells them is, it's like you got together way back when and no one knew. Yeah. He doesn't say they did. Yeah. That's what it's like. Mm -hmm. This is how I want you to play this, Mm -hmm. right? And then also he says, oh, now you're thinking that's who that was in the mansion room, Mm -hmm. which is what he calls uh, where we see Naito. Right. Right. Didn't call the eraser spe- head spaceship. If he'd called the eraser head spaceship, I might have lost it. I think you would have probably won a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I would. I would. <laughs> that was reaching, but it was perfectly acceptable to uh, describe it that way. But so he calls it the mansion room. Yeah. And but again, it's just you know. So how much do we read into this? And and there's still this question of what's going on there. Mm-hmm. I was saying before we sat down, it's still I don't know. Is that Diane? Is it the real Diane? She's got the red hair and the black and white fingernails. You know, there's that theory out in the world that maybe Naido is actually Judy and this is a, a trick or mm-hmm. something. And all that's at least interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's cool that he can keep all these dots connected in his head mm-hmm. and keep describing this stuff to the actors. Like, wait, we've been watching it so closely and we barely have the thread. Yeah. But he's got all of it in his head, every facet of it in his head. Mm-hmm. And is able to to relate it and relate the meaning of each thing at any at any moment on demand, you know. Yeah, and to say, well, so it's, it, this is what it's like. It's like you got together a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's cool. Yeah. 
There's also a moment between um, Diane and Coop here that he's describing about their transition into the belly of the um, Great Northern, right? Yeah, well, I thought this was interesting. You know, when we talked about it originally, it stuck out to me as a kind of odd edit, you know, and we talked about that. And the way Lynch describes it here, he says, you know, there's an opening and the opening is holding and mm-hmm. something like the tone is coming into the station. Mm-hmm. Um, which I guess would be that that tone, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I don't know. It's uh, I don't know if it's really much more than a kind of poetic articulation of what we saw. It's still just kind of as weird, but yeah, yeah, it stuck out to me. Yeah, and again, I think nudging sometimes, not necessarily revealing what is true in the narrative. Yeah. Um, we move uh, from that segment to uh, Bad Binoculars. Bad Binoculars. Which is bad, one, one bad. of my favorite bits in all of this. That You know, we talked about how great David Patrick Kelly is a little while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, just using that device of being angry at the binoculars yeah. for what you see, it's kind of like shooting the messenger. Mm-hmm. If the information and the message you're getting is the light that comes to your eyes, you yeah. know? Yeah. And also Although, using them wrong is something yeah. about that is just totally hilarious. Yeah. But of course, recall the the phone call that Ben gets, where apparently it's that he thought that he killed them with the uh, he thought he killed Richard yeah. with the binoculars. Yeah, but you do like see what's going on in his mind in that moment. In that scene, a little bit um, of back and forth between David Patrick Kelly and David Lynch mm-hmm. about you know how exactly to say this, and Lynch is again he's being particular, but it seems like um, David Patrick Kelly is having some input here. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just uh, fleshing out exactly how he wants it done. I think there's moments where the actors are like. Well, what if it's like this? And and David makes a decision like, yeah, that's what I'm talking, but that fits with my vision or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he always stands by his guns, but I right. never, I don't ever get the impression that he's, you know, too crazy about it. Well, here it just seems like it's about how many times he's going to say bad or when he's going to say bad. Yeah. But there seems to be a back and forth. Yeah. You know? uh, is it bad, bad binoculars? No, just bad binoculars. Yeah. I mean, make sure you say binoculars. Mm-hmm. I like that part. It's like make sure you fully articulate yeah. binoculars. Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing. Yeah. Uh, in this section, Bad Binoculars, we get um, Sherilyn Finn working with Lynch again in this room with Charlie, right? Oh, yeah. And the one moment Lynch is whispering in her, her ear. A little frustrating. And it seems like, this is why <laughs> it's particularly frustrating, because it seems like he's about to say it out loud. It almost yeah. seems like he sees Jason S.'s recording and yeah. then decides, no, I'm going to whisper That's in her exactly what I thought. That's exactly things, how it reads. Yeah. Yeah. That's certain things that he didn't want everybody knowing. I remember during filming... Reading mm-hmm. uh, an, uh, an interview with uh, Kyle McLaughlin talking about um, basically how he was the only one that saw the entire script. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's certain things even on set while filming, not everybody knew everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, in I some mean, sense, that gives the director more, empowers the director to be like, no, listen to me. There's some things I know that you don't. Well, in particular, <laughs> now that we're watching, you know, you know, some of the stuff we get in here. Not only did they not read the whole script, it seems like a majority of them shot their scenes out of sequence. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, we we already talked about the Mitchums doing the Santino scene first. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the first scene that um, um, Bud Mullins, Don Murray does is the hospital scene. Yeah, you know, so he's constantly saying like, "Well, we're doing things out of order. Here's where you're at right now." So if you think about that from an actor's perspective, like even trying to put together the whole story, even your own character's whole story. I'm sure they were all way off until they were I mean, it. Like, they didn't it would have been funny to be a fly on the wall in like the Belushi residence when mm. watching whichever episode and be like, oh, yeah, huh, no, he went that way with it? That's strange. Read my fucking mind. Yeah. 
what the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, or, you know, the, it's revealed that they only had Ashley Judd for two days yeah. shooting only. Mm-hmm. Certain things like that that make you think like, okay, so they would have had to do all of that at once while they could. And this is where the constraints of a budget and actor schedules and stuff like that yeah. really control what's going on. Although I have to say, I saw an interview with um, uh, Tracy, what's her name? Madeline Zima, I think mm-hmm. that's the actress's name. Okay. And where she was saying she didn't quite remember what she did. I find that hard to believe. Hmm. I don't know. Well, I mean, <laughs> a little, yeah. yeah because also, you're you run through it with the director, right? Mm-hmm. Especially with Lynn, she takes you through the whole scene probably a couple of times. Yeah. And then you shoot the scene. Yeah. And then you might do a reshoot. But even while you're doing the shooting part of it, the first time around, there's however many takes. Yeah. So I can imagine. Yeah, it's just it can become a whole blur of like they were telling me what to do, and I nailed what I was supposed to do, but. What exactly do we do again? I wasn't really paying attention in that sense. Well, or is it just that you don't understand what's happening well enough? Well, in that too. You know what I mean? like, yeah, exactly. Like I can describe to you the physical movements of my body, and I maybe I even remember my lines, mm-hmm. but I don't know what it was about. Right. Maybe it's that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite interesting. All right. So uh, the next chapter is uh, "See You on the Other Side, Dear Friend." Yeah. Titled. And that seems to me like a reference to Miguel Ferrer. Yeah. You know. Um, and we, it opens up and you have Lynch talking about how important he is to the project and mm-hmm. then running into difficulties in terms of, you know, having him for it. Um, Albert, I, I know he was shooting other stuff, but I kind of got the impression that this was one of the scenarios like with Catherine Coulson that it was, um, yeah. And you know, as, as I was saying to you earlier, timing. I don't know. It's hard to say mm-hmm. because it doesn't feel like his illness was really public knowledge. Mm-hmm. I kind of presume David Lynch knew, uh, but he was also working on some CBS show or something. Mm-hmm. So whether that was a conflict or what, they could only get in in there. And so you have, but you have Lynch going on to the crew about how important Albert is to this project, and you know that they were going to have to work hard. They're going to have to work extra basically in order to get this done. Mm-hmm. But um, we got to do it. Mm-hmm. We got to do it. You know. Yeah. Thank God they did. You yeah. know. I mean. Um, Albert is great. He's the character. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Miguel. You gotta see him in this. Yeah. 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 And um you get um Lynch talking about kind of blazing his own path in this segment too. Where yeah. he's discussing like, Oh, well all you people work with other people and you've all been on a hundred different types of movie sets. Um Yeah, where he talks about he's like, You've all worked with other people, but yeah, to me this is normal. Yeah. Right. It's basically what he's saying. Yeah. He's like, this is the logical way of doing things. And he's tended to work with the same people. He mm-hmm. likes to work with the same people. Mm-hmm. Right. They brought back all these old crew from the original Twin Peaks or people who worked on other films with him and yep. so on and so forth. And he's right? got his own methodology that makes sense because that's how he does it. And that's part of the formula that's proven to make excellent David Lynch films. Right. But that's not how they do it when yeah. you're making, you know, Spider-Man or yeah, something exactly. <laughs> like that. So um, yeah, that's cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. We also get uh, some more cool practical effects in this. Um, you know, something that's also, I feel like, kind of a dying art. Practical effects, puppets, and um, oh, cars. The, the stuntman scene. I, the I, I miss seeing car, real cars crashing in movies, yeah. as silly as that sounds. That was pretty All cool. All my childhood was just watching dumb cars race each other and crash. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. I mean, have you seen God in 60 Seconds, the original one? Uh, not the Nick Cage one. No, I have uh, not. Is that... Uh, is that um, Who's in that? Robert Redford? Uh, Something like that. I'd have to check. I, I, there's a it ton just of occurred to me off the top points. of my mind. I think the, the, of Vanishing Point. I think of Bullet. 
I think of um Yeah. The point about Gone in Sixty Seconds, the original one, is that there's like a like a fifty minute long car chase. Okay. It's a ninety minute movie. Okay, yeah. You know what I mean? And like you just don't quite tend to get things like that anymore. I mean if you watch the remake with uh Nick Cage, I think. Yeah, right? it is, I think it's yeah. um they more or less do the same thing, but the car chase is, you know, like a few minutes long, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the original one it was like the whole point of the movie was just to set up this epic car chase. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I love so. that. But it's it's a, it's a dying art. It's something that mm-hmm. was in every single movie in the 70s. Yeah. But you don't get these days. Even with, you know, everything CGI now and everything is like, you know, it has to be 16 cars and they're all on a race track and the, the race track is on a spaceship or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But um, with this, it's really cool. It's so simple. It's just Mr. C going off the road and flipping over once. Yeah. But it's awesome. It adds to the realism of it, and, and it's a, kind of an action moment. Yeah, and they got it well. And they I mean, got it, you know, yeah. With the ramp and mm-hmm. the whole plan and the sun driver, you mm-hmm. know, they did a good job. Yeah, and it's great seeing that kind of behind-the-scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that a ton of that is, like, really fun, how they hide the ramp with the tumbleweeds and bushes and stuff like that. Yeah, you know? yeah it's cool. Um, it's pretty cool to see that. So in the, uh, the next section here... It's called Do Not Pick Up Hitchhikers. We get some shots of that sign on the road from yeah. Jason S. And um, we're going to talk about the prison, right? We go into Warden Murphy right. and um, we get all of that stuff in here, which, you know, that was cool. It was, it was cool to see them film that scene. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. We also get um, some of the Tim Ross stuff in this one, too, right? Oh, yeah. He, he uh, on the phone first, he's explaining to Tim Roth um, who Hutch is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that he. He likes obeying orders. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, somehow loves it. And he's yeah, just, he's totally open job. with Mr. C. Uh, Provides him everything. I also like how he gives uh, Tim Roth the ability to kind of flesh out his own accent. We're saying it could be like a Southern twangy thing. It really could be anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you, you can, can tell make he up trusts him, own, and yeah. you can tell yeah. he knows Tim Roth is really great at what he does. And mm-hmm. which know. I guess I mean he has to address that because he doesn't want Tim Roth to use his normal accent, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so, but. I like how he gives them the freedom there, mm-hmm. kind of. Mm-hmm. And then we see them smoking. Yeah. Or Tim's vaping. Tim's vaping, he is, as, yeah. As the kids say. But David Lynch is old school, and you knew this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. uh, and uh, I didn't know this, that apparently this is when um, right, Tim Roth asked him if he's ever worked with Jennifer, Jason Lee. Oh, right, yeah. And he's got nothing but great things to say about her, and of course, rightly so. She's amazing. Yeah, um, but I didn't realize. So Lynch says that she tried out for Blue Velvet. Yeah, back in the day, hmm. which that's cool. Imagine the alternate film. But I also didn't realize that she's fifty-five years old. Mm-hmm. She looks great. Yeah, um, and you know, um, we may have hit on this at least briefly before, but it is really again worth noting the age of the actors in this project and the number of them, the preponderance of them. Yeah, that are over the age of fifty. You yeah. just don't see this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, yeah, you've got some young, beautiful people. You got Amy Fair and whatever. They like, so many of them um, are f- like 50 plus. You mm-hmm. know, Laura Dern, Naomi Watts too, right around 50. But yeah. you know, then of course, like pretty much everyone in the original cast. And yeah, it's really striking. I hope people recognize that. Yeah, yeah. And I love specifically Hutch and Chantel being thrown in there as this strange noir couple, and you mm-hmm. know, this is the violent criminals that are also really interested in snacks. You know, yeah. Um, there's something kind of fun about them, even though they're murderous assholes, right? Yeah. Well, it's totally, I think we've said before there that they feel like the Tarantino homage almost. Yeah. You know, like you just plug them right into, you know, Pulp Fiction. 
But uh, Jennifer Jason Lee is uh, again. You you mentioned how long she's been around acting. I think that uh, she's one of those actors that kind of feel like when I start thinking about it, like there's just a uh, huge number of projects that she's been in mm-hmm. and had a had a great effect on. And I can rattle off a ton of movies with her in it. But I remember the very first time I remember being like, "Whoa, who's that?" Was actually in um, the Coen Brothers film uh, Hudsucker Proxy. Oh, okay. Right? Mm-hmm. And so she's like fast talking journalist and she's putting on the air of like 1940s speech. Sure, yeah. And she just freaking nails it. And I remember being like, oh, wow, she's really killed it in this. And she's been in 100 things since. Oh, yeah, so um, many. But to see her now and be like, uh, and as you said, you know, she looks amazing. It looks like she's still at the top of her game and has been for 30 years in a row. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think that her as Chantel also just like, kind of seductive kind of trashy but mm-hmm. at the same time like you're behind her for some reason like yeah you like, i liked the, her they get the whole bond it's like the whole <laughs> mini bonnie and clyde story what well, i like too you know? when uh when he's subscribing to uh hutch and he's saying you know you guys and you guys get along except sometimes she gets a little bit uh upset you know and oh she keeps him in check though too <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he's like and, 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 and when she gets in a bad mood and you can tell tim on the phone is like asking him like what and he goes well, the last time it happens, she pulls out a guy's windshield, and, and things can really go bad, and that's when you die. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Um, and I think even regarding that scene, there were some specifics about how to shoot that that changed what was going on, where, you know, camera mm. angles and the action of the moving of the van. And it's interesting to see how they're kind of crafting oh, it in yeah. the moment. Well, and you get that, um, you know, in the Polish accountant one, too. Mm-hmm. To jump forward to that. There's frustration. Mm-hmm. You know, we already mentioned that. This is the one where Lynch shows a lot of frustration. Yeah. And he's sitting there going, can we shoot? Yeah. Someone get Tim. Can we shoot? Yeah, just, Someone get yeah. Tim to gut. Yeah. He's just repeating um, that. And it's like, okay, he's Lynch is at the, he's past the line, everybody. We better fucking get involved. But here. you get this feeling about, you know, how long and frustrating potentially of a process it can be, you know? And I mean, if if you haven't been in the movie set, I've been on the movie set. You know, I know mm-hmm. you, you've made films, right? Yep. I mean, it's like you can really not have a, a good knowledge of just how long these things can take. Yeah, you know, and, and it could be some tiny detail, mm-hmm. and yet you don't want to just like call it a day and give up. No, but it, yeah, some things that's like the Wally Brando scene. Yeah, that could have taken eighteen hours to shoot that scene, and yeah. they did it in one take. Yeah, and you know. Sometimes things just pull through a little Sometimes bit. Sometimes things work out. And apparently that day that they were shooting the Polish accountant stuff outside of Dougie's house was not going so smoothly. Yeah. And you tell they had a meeting before that, and David thinks that it can just be bam, bam, bam. Yeah. You know, I think totally. that's when he invokes patent and shit. <laughs> yeah, right. He's invoking <laughs> patent, right. Like, we can get all this fucking done on Monday fucking morning. Yeah. All right. He's fighting a, a war, really. Um, but, uh so uh, next segment is uh, kind of funny, a bloody finger in your mouth. Yeah, right? we're referring to Lynch's bloody finger in Laura Dern's mouth. Yes, yeah. which gets a little payback um, after yeah. cut is said, right? Well, I loved how when he's doing this, he's putting the bread dough. Well, first, I love how he's telling her he's going to put the bread dough yeah. on her face. You yeah. know, like, reaction. oh. Yeah, she's, uh, okay, David. And, uh, and uh, then when he's doing it, at first, he doesn't make a hole for her to breathe. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to need that. You can't like, oh, I almost yeah. forgot. It's not a good thing it's your last day. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> but she trusts him to do it. And then, yeah, as you said, right, the little payback that after she raps, then uh, you get her putting it on Lynch's face, which, yeah. is, which is nice. It's That's cool. fun. The, the rapport little, was really the nice. The playful relationship. Yeah, exactly. Tidbit and Lynch. Yeah. Um, what else do we get in here? We get... Um, oh, the whole scene with Tony and the coffee when he's going to... 
poison. Oh yeah, back to this. I love this as a device, the dandruff that takes Dougie's attention <laughs> and what Tony thinks when Dougie starts rubbing his shoulders uh, like classic mafia. Yeah. Um that's just hilarious. I, I really love that part a lot. Yeah, we do get confirmation of it being dandruff on his shoulders mm-hmm. and it was striking to me that when they were filming this, David uh, Lynch's face looked really kind of emotional. It seemed to me almost like he was crying mm-hmm. or getting close to it. Or I mean, I guess not really. I think he's just putting himself in the space or something like that as mm-hmm. he's directing um, Tony, Tom Sizemore, mm-hmm. because it's it's him who's getting emotional, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking as Lynch is saying like, and you're kind of starting to break down, but you're not fully breaking down yet. Not all the way yet. Like during that bit, which I was just watching David Lynch's face and kind of compelled by it. So Jason S. takes us through the Polish accountant section, yeah. and we've discussed that a little bit already. Yeah, I think we've, we've more or less hit mm-hmm. on the main points in there. But just a, the frust- We see some frustrating moments in there, but also mm-hmm. just uh, the idea, I mean, we talked about this when we first screened it, is just how cool it is that in the middle of all of this crazy action, criminal, gangster, otherworldly, demonic stuff, you, you also still once in a while get your crazy road rage that yeah. happens. And, um, you know, the challenge of filming that and filming it, I think it was being filmed right at sunset as well. Well, so. yeah. And then there were other things in there, too, about Jennifer Jason Lee having to leave. And mm-hmm. it's not all made entirely clear. Yeah. But, but um, at the end of the day, regardless of those problems and those frustrating moments, when we're watching it, I didn't see a single flaw in that scene. I love that scene. Yeah, it's perfect. That is great. I move car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll move my car all right. You're yeah. not going to like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then, so he takes us from that to uh, a pot of boiling oil. Which is a reference to Al Strobel's story. Yeah. Now, this was uh, one of the things that stood out most mm-hmm. for me in watching all these extras is Al Strobel's story about how he actually lost his arm. Yeah. So Lynch says, you know, I know you told me the story before, but tell me again about how you lost your arm. And he kind of paints a picture of back in the era that Lynch often illustrates mm-hmm. to us. Um so back in the day that he was in a car wreck. I think this is 60 years ago. Yeah. You know, when he was a teenager. He was very young. Um, um, he was in a car wreck. This is before the days of seatbelts and safety and all that, Well, of I don't know. But I mean, there was uh, black ice that he hit. Yeah. You know. And um, he he flipped some his car, and somehow that the injury from that caused him to lose his arm. Well, and he talks about feeling his head being mushy. He talks about, like, putting his cranium back into place. You know, right. it's like, who knows yeah. exactly how literal... But the way he says lucky, he's, yeah, he's quite aware lucky. that he's lucky to be alive. And it's, yeah. it's very interesting to hear this story after knowing the one-armed man for years, you know. Well, and yeah. having him having one arm being part of the fiction of the character, mm-hmm. but never really knowing. And honestly, for some reason, never really even thinking, how did this actor actually lose his arm? Because in the original series, we see him without a shirt. And we're like, oh, wait, that guy really yeah. doesn't have an arm. I think I knew it was a car accident, but I don't know that I got in this detail before. Yeah. And the detail, I mean, he talks about leaving his body and so on. Yeah, like he felt like he was well. looking down at his body and, and that um, he just luckily landed in the yard of um, an emergency responder, right? Somebody, or a, a, a deputy sheriff or, or something like that yeah. who had blankets and, um, you know, first aid stuff in their garage or in their car or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he states that that person was showering and did not hear the wreck. Yeah, and the light was on and, he, and the light went off and then they'd gone to bed. And yeah. that then somehow he managed to get their attention. He, he makes it sound like he's doing that psychically or yeah. something. You know, as you were saying, he might have <laughs> just been screaming like a fucking maniac. Yeah, his astral projection <laughs> went into the other guy's dream and said, you know, go out into your front yard. Yeah, either way, lucky. But yeah, quite, quite lucky. And another thing that struck me about this, I mean, besides hearing Al Strobel's story, is just Lynch saying, yeah, you've told me before, but let's tell it to the audience, you know. Mm-hmm. He tells the story, and Lynch is like, 
Man, fascinating. Anyway, so you're standing here, and we're gonna get to shoot. Now, lights, bring him over. Yeah. You know, yeah, but and no, you can tell he's just a, he's on back to his but, mission. But actually, that's right after the thing that we jumped over here, which is the the, the phrase here where where Al Strobel says that now because of the damage in his um, his spine, his spinal cord, that basically his brain is still thinking that the left arm is still there, and that it feels mm-hmm. like it's immersed in a pot of boiling oil. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, that he lives with this sensation like a ghost arm. And but the, the, yeah, but this mm-hmm. is worse if it feels like it's in a pot of boiling oil. Yeah, th- there's something about his nervous system that's always sending that signal. Yeah. That's that's pretty crazy. Yeah, because I could live with that. I could do. But that's that. that's reported by many amputees that there is a, a, a numbness up to the extreme of that kind of description where yeah. they're still feeling like it's still there. Even yeah, it's, the it's phantom absent. limb uh, mm-hmm. syndrome thing is is well known and, and interesting in its own right. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I don't think. But boiling if oil. If it's always that kind of pain. Yeah. Man. Can't they do something about that? I don't know. Yeah, that's. Um, but then it's sort of right after that, where, as you say, the lynch is like, "All right, over here, let's shoot." Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so you're supposed to be standing right there and turn around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, yeah, just part of the mystery behind everything. Like I said, how that's uh, the missing arm is woven into the fiction of all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the blurring of the lines of reality. And so was it? Oh, hey, we've got a, a one-armed man in the script, so let's look for an actor that's missing an arm kind of thing and then comparing in real life what is that sensation with in the fictional version he's i mean just to state it again right he cuts his own arm off the character does that's true yeah Mm -hmm. in order to get rid of the the, he had a tattoo where he was linked to bob right oh yeah Mm -hmm. and so he says i forget the exact line but he says you know so i took the whole arm off because then i saw the face of god yeah Exactly. That's in there. And how, yes. how that evil that's represented by Bob is also associated with scorched engine oil. Yeah. You know, interesting mm-hmm. to it mention. Is, it is interesting, you know. And you get, you know, so we're in the Red Room and uh, cool special effectsy stuff with Kyle falling through the floor. Oh, yeah. Oh, this was this The was moving cool. jagged floor. I thought that was really awesome. And just mm-hmm. as there's a little bit of concern of Kyle's safety in this moment, too. He's, he's not only it shows him dropping into the vat of water below, but mm-hmm. also when the floor itself is moving and jagged. Yeah, the fall in particular is where the concern for safety is. But I, I, I was the debate, right? Like the stunt people wanted to do it one way. And Lynch was like, no, we're going we're to let Kale decide when, yeah. you know, he's going to do it. And yeah. he has to like kind of persuade them almost or st- um, put his foot down. You know, yeah. like, this is how we're going to do it, you know. And, uh, oh, then um, Kyle's um, magic uh, drops, right, is mm-hmm. part of this, right? Yeah. He's, Kyle's a magician, mm-hmm. you know, how he just, like, drops himself out of the frame. Because mm-hmm. he's doing that here, too. They say they've got, like, four feet of water. Mm-hmm. So it's like the idea is he's going to go into the water, and then he's going to drop himself down yeah. underneath water. So it seems like there's just an infinity of water, mm-hmm. you know? And it was cool to see them do all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is sort of a, like a Houdini, sort of David Copperfield thing, like jumping into a vat of water and escaping a thing or whatnot. So I thought it was funny that he's talking about it as like almost like this magician's showmanship kind of thing. Yeah. When I think the, particularly the skill that, that he can just drop out of the frame. That's mm-hmm. what he's talking about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, that And basically he's just like squatting really fast mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, kind of after this stuff in this last chapter of Jason S.'s pieces, we also see um, Kyle McLaughlin kind of switching the spotlight back to David Lynch. They do the mm-hmm. clapouts for several different coups, right? Yeah. Um, but we get this homage coming back from Kyle to Lynch, 
and kind of giving that complete feeling of what a great project this must have been to work on. Right. And we get the final wrap. Yeah. You know, with everyone gathered around. And again, Lynch says, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a sad day, but sort of a happy day. And this is a wrap on principal photography. Yeah. That's pretty neat. And there's a lot yeah. of celebration in that moment. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, there's still a ton of editing and sound work and all kinds oh, of yeah. stuff to oh, do yeah. after that. Mm-hmm. But um, the completion of it and sharing all of that with us of not only what a David Lynch project looks like, but what it is like to be on David Lynch's uh, set. You know, Very cool, very cool, yeah. And, and I'm glad we got that. I wish. <laughs> I mean, it feels almost ungrateful to ask for more. But we didn't get anything in the Roadhouse. We didn't get anything in the Double R. And those are the two big things where I was like, oh, I really would have liked some of that. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe the Roadhouse in particular. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, any, 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 um, you know. Yeah, we didn't get any of the uh, behind the scenes with the, the bands performing, none of the musicians, nothing at the Roadhouse, like you said, at all. Yeah, anything about how that worked would have been cool. Yeah. Any indication, any moment of, you know, Lynch, um, you know, talking to Ruby before a scene or whatever. I just would have loved it. Yeah. But we didn't get any of that. It's got to be wrapped in mystery still, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um but overall, very cool. Really enjoyed all this stuff. Yeah, really loved it. Um, it's great to go back through it. And another thing is, you know, when we were doing the podcast, I mean, because we were doing this podcast, mm-hmm. when it was being aired, I think I watched each episode about three times Yeah. before we did the podcast mm-hmm. as it was going. Uh, a good amount of time has passed now. Um, in fact, for me, the perfect amount of time to then now start at episode one again on the Blu-rays. Mm-hmm. It's an excellent print. Um just like um, the entire mystery Blu-ray box set, mm-hmm. um, I I love everything about this, even down to the packaging. Like yeah. we're talking about um, uh, the Rancho Rosa logo stuff before, and how even in the tiny details, there's something cool and creative about it. Yeah. Just the way that the packaging is and it's stuff. Great. It's great. It's, it's really a great set. And I do have to say, you know, watching this um, behind the scenes stuff made me want to watch the show again. Yeah. And I will do. And I was about to. Uh, I was thinking about starting the Blu-rays, as you say, but then. Um, now I'm going to do this crazy thing and go to the MoMA. Yeah, so we are together <laughs> this coming weekend going to MoMA. I know you're doing all three days. I just scored That's tickets for Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. So I'm still very happy about that. But mm-hmm. you're, you're getting the whole thing. So for those that don't know, uh, here in New York City, the Museum of Modern Art is screening the entire Twin Peaks to return on their big screen with their big speakers mm-hmm. in their theater. Over the course of three days. Over the course of three days. So in yeah. some sense, it's kind of an endurance game to go and see all of this. Yeah. But uh, we've talked a lot about this as a film, an 18-hour film. And so MoMA has decided to actually screen it this way. We've also mentioned um, the discussions and the descriptions of David Lynch on how to watch this, where he said, you know, you want to turn the lights out and get Mm. up close to your TV and turn the audio up and really pay attention and don't watch it on your fucking phone for sure. Yeah. Um, And we're with you, David, on all of that. And we're so stoked to be able to see this on the big screen with big loudspeakers. I hope the sound sound moves my gut. It will, yeah. I think there's going to be a little sternum vibration. The drones. And, and, yeah. And there's a, there's a, what's funny is examining that we're about to do this is kind of mm-hmm. a trip because there's certain things that my mind is like, oh, yeah, we get to see that. Only we get to see it big. Mm-hmm. Of co- For me, of course, one of the big ones is episode eight. Of course, yeah. Um, is to see that whole sequence on a big screen just flying in there. I can't wait for that. The soundscape that's involved with that. Um, but there's a few other things, you know, the electrical execution uh, execution of Richard Horn is one of them. Yeah, you know, the, it can yeah. and certain small things even. Yeah. Um, the um, bit with the American Girl, even like so. Mm. There's certain things that I'm like, ooh, just the soundscape of that. I really want to hear it loud. 
and I really want it to be the only thing in the room that you can see is this giant screen of it. And it's going to be awesome. We're both really stoked to see yeah, it. Yeah, it should be really great. And uh, there's interesting community aspect buildings. People are coming from out of town, it would seem. And Yeah, it's cool. Um, it's almost like a convention. And it's also, I think MoMA is awesome. Thank you, MoMA, for doing this and whoever got behind that because yeah. – uh, I remember reading that I think it was in Italy they did this at one of the theaters there as as it was being screened for us here mm-hmm. um, when it was on air um, that they did that and there was a, a really successful reaction to it. It was great. Fans loved it over in Italy. And I remember thinking like, oh, man, I wish we could do that here. That's really excellent. And sure enough, somebody over here came through and it happened to be in the town that we're in, which is great. And so people are coming great, yeah. from out of town. And yeah, as, uh, as we said, um, I'm planning on doing all of it, but I am relying on a a little help on Friday. So maybe I should thank uh, Christian here. Great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Christian mm-hmm. Hartleben, I think is how you say his name. Yeah. Uh, I missed the the time to get tickets reserved for Friday, but you know, the internet is magic and yeah. uh, jump down there. And yeah, yeah that's really that's, cool. That's that really he came cool. Through. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's really cool that the Twin Peaks, there's such a, a sense of community that people are just like, Oh, you're looking for tickets. I have extra tickets. Of course you can have a ticket person. I don't know mm-hmm. who also likes Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Because we like Twin Peaks. Yeah. Of course you can. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So, and I hope it's a success enough that they do it in other cities, too. And, yeah, I don't know. You know we'll it is a big it. undertaking, and doing, particularly doing, you know, the Yeah, we're not even sure yet thing. how the logistics will work, but yeah. we will report back. So in about a week or two, we'll get together back on here, ideally, mm-hmm. and have a little discussion. Because um, of all of it, even though we've been watching it with a keen eye and digging deep... Um, we haven't seen it like that. We haven't seen it big and loud like that. So yeah, I think probably we'll go ahead, sit down at least briefly. You know, mm-hmm. Like I don't know, I don't know if I'm going to have a whole lot to say other than like, wow, that was cool. Yeah. But um, but we'll see. Probably there will be at least a couple of things that stand out in terms of uh, having a different experience. Mm-hmm. You know, in in the in the theater. So. But uh, I do feel like uh, over the since summer now, right? Today's January first, twenty eighteen. But we've been doing this podcast since, was it the beginning of July or yeah, something? Yeah, well, at least, yeah. Oh. And um, I just think that uh, it's it's been great uh, to have Twin Peaks with us in 2017. Yes. It's definitely one of the highlights of the year. It's probably the highlight of the year. De- yeah, Let's I think be so. honest. I think I mean, so, like, yeah. And, in um, a lot of ways, it wasn't a it, very It deserves good year. all the yeah. awards. I give David Lynch the Nobel Peace Prize personally myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, all the literature prizes, all the film prizes. I mean, Kyle better at least win the Emmy. Everybody gets everything. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. Hmm. Um, and, you know, what an, what an amazing supporting cast and crew and the effects and everybody. I mean, think about, again, episode eight, the effects that we saw of them pulling that off in White Sands in 19, what, 54, was it? Hmm, 45. I'm sorry, yeah, uh, you're right, yeah, 1945. Um, just to think of the quality of the effects in that sequence really hmm. blows me away. That's on par with the type of stuff you would see in one of the big Disney movies, a big Marvel movie or something, where it takes 50 people in a room doing CGI for a couple months, you know. Mm-hmm. And to have that pulled off uh, with David Lynch at the helm is really something special. I really loved that part of it. Yeah, really amazing. But so much to it. Anyway, uh, it's been half a year, and I feel like we're coming full circle now. And this, it's really great at the end of it to get the Blu-ray set and to be seeing it at MoMA on the big screen is going to be a great cap onto a fantastic year. Uh, thank you, David Lynch and Mark Frost and everybody yeah. else involved. We, as us, too, and uh, obviously representing so many other fans, we totally love you. Yeah. And we want more and yes. somehow hope we'll get nice. it. Yeah. And, you know, thanks to all of you for listening along with us. Um, stay tuned. Stay tuned.